we are on air for Fan for Racing Radio. It is Monday night, October the 17th, and we are going to do our Las Vegas NASCAR race review, as well as our Hot Topic Sound Off at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time tonight, and that is uh, a full half hour earlier than usual. So uh, joining me for tonight's show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you, Sharon. And, and I got a big hot topic question already. Where did October go? We're already halfway through October. Where did it go? <laughs> crazy. It's crazy. I know. Time just keeps marching on. I know. It's going we fast. Had, we had some good racing over the weekend and some interesting things. We are going to have some great hot topics uh, tonight, later on tonight, but get to cover some great racing throughout the weekend as well. And I will have to say that I had the pleasure of being at the Las Vegas Bull Ring as well as Las Vegas Motor Speedway this weekend. So uh, I really had a good time out there, and uh, I'll talk about it uh, throughout the evening here. But uh, tonight, in our first half hour, we are going to talk about some short track news. We're going to follow that with a review of the Arco West Series out at the Bull Ring in Las Vegas. And then we'll have an update on the truck series. They did not race this weekend, but they will be back on track next weekend. In the next half hour, excuse me, we're going to review the NASCAR Xfinity Series and then the Cup Series playoff races that took place this weekend out at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And we're going to end our uh, session tonight with a hot topic sound off with the Fan for Racing crew. And for tonight, Jay, the Fan for Racing crew is you and I, you and me. Well, I saw that you had asked Tommy. I hadn't heard, uh, seen if he had uh, was able to or not. So, uh, unfortunate. And I know Mike and uh, Andy are both uh, busy, had their schedules not quite line up. So, uh, we'll try and interject uh, what they had to say. I know there was a couple of thoughts provided from them on some of the hot topics we got, so we both get to do some imitating tonight. That's true. I asked them to please leave their comments so that we could represent them uh, tonight on the show, and we will, of course, do just exactly that as best as we can, Jay. Uh, but let's start with some short track racing news from this weekend. Uh, there was uh, the Winchester 400 this weekend, and Stephen Nassi claimed his second Winchester 400 victory this weekend. And uh, actually, uh, he becomes the ninth driver to win that Winchester 400 more than once. Uh, with his six top five, he's only three off the most in the event's history, uh, and but he's got a long way to go to top Bob Seneker, who won the Winchester 400 seven times. That's crazy. That is one of those records that may not ever be broken. Uh, certainly something to shoot for, but reading through this and getting up to date on it, this uh, win... Uh, he compared his two victories. He had one where he dominated, led all but eight laps. Uh, this one he overcame a Noah spinout and I think two flat tires, if I read that correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Two flat tires and a, a spin. Um, so really had to battle back and had a great battle there at the end with Jake Garcia. 
Uh, and these are names that we mentioned uh, going into the preview and throughout our preview and review shows, some names that you're going to see start seeing more of at NASCAR's top three levels. I know Jake Garcia has already made a couple starts. Yes, indeed. So uh, it's going to be uh, interesting to see as these uh, battles continue to rest of this uh, so you definitely want to tune in for the next time these two uh, match up head to head. It's the Jet Motorsports number 51, as you said, recovered from two flat tires and a spin in order to win that race and to become one of nine drivers to uh, do so, uh, have multiple wins out there at the Winchester 400. Uh, so one of the big events that took place this weekend. If you missed that race, uh, you can catch a replay of it uh, at Flow Racing or over at Racing America. So check that out. And I think you, you definitely want to. Uh, there, there was some other action there uh, involved also, uh, Garcia. But uh, Chandler Smith, uh, one I mentioned, has yes. run several times, keeps going back to uh, try and win that uh, rifle. Uh, had some contact with Garcia while battling for the win. Uh, ended up destroying his car and taking down some of the uh, parts then to the uh, Garcia pit box, which uh, then a shoving match ensued between the crew chief, I believe it was. But always yeah, the excitement of taken short track well. late model racing. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, that's a little bit of a shoving match on their own. And, uh, it, you know, people always uh, talk about it around the water cooler the next day. Uh, if you're at the track... Uh, you have to you have to tell us all about it if you saw that happening, but uh, uh, we'll see what happens. The Winchester 400 rifle is one of those trophies that every driver wants to get, and uh, so this is one of the biggest events across the country uh, with drivers coming from everywhere to try to earn that Winchester 400 rifle. It certainly is, and amongst that, one of the drivers that battled uh, in the, not just in the Winchester 400, um, and the JEG CRA feature, which was on Friday night, uh, you had yes. William Sawalich. Sowell, I don't Sowell, know if I got that one. Sawalich. Yeah. All right. Sawalich um, picked up the championship for the JEG CRA as one of the three young guns in a battle to decide that one. That was also at Winchester Speedway out in And the uh, race actually decided with just five laps to go when Giovanni Ruggiero drove under a dominant Chase Berta but slipped and sent them both up the track. And that opened the door for Sawalich uh, to take that Donnie Wilson Motorsports number 24 under both of them and take that lead. It was all over after that. So another another few young guns names we, we may see throughout at least the late model. Uh, I know you, it's tough to follow everything, but today's social media can at least keep up with it because a lot of these names I think we're going to see moving up into whether it be the Arkham Menards East West series or on up through the Arkham Menards into the NASCAR top three levels. Uh, we think about it, that's where drivers like Josh Berry came from. I know right now he's one that gets a hot, lot of highlights that, for that coming out of the late models Eric Jones did back in the day as well. Oh, yeah. 
I remember when Eric Jones beat uh, Kyle Busch at the Snowball Derby. That's how he got to drive for uh, Kyle Busch Motorsports. Well, and you mentioned seeing a, a matchup of some of these drivers, uh, you know, another time, and that would be a big one that we'll see coming up here in December would be at the Snowball Derby. You're going to see a lot of these same names. You're right. Absolutely. Okay, let's move over to Flow Racing because there's some uh, big news over there as well. Uh, with, uh, drivers uh, getting some big wins. Shane Cockrum uh, gets Illinois Dirt Redemption at Springfield Fairgrounds. Uh, he uh, kind of slipped up a little bit at, uh, at uh, DuCoin on the dirt mile over Labor Day. And so he came back to the uh, Benton House at 100 presented by Hunt Brothers Pizza uh, and uh, got his redemption with a victory this week. So big win for Shane Grum out there. What's amazing is when you talk to, to drivers, a lot of times, uh, and this is, I think, in a lot of sports uh, as well, but it's not that they have, they have good memories of ones they've won or things they've accomplished, but they really focus on ones that they felt they had and got away, that that's what they hold exactly. on to. So uh, Shane Cochran there, you're right, uh, holding on to that and wanting to come back to redeem himself and erase that from his memory and let it go. Exactly, and that's exactly what happens. They, they get that redemption, and they can let go of the one that got away and uh, know that they've uh, redeemed themselves and they're ready to move on from that. So always a big deal when that happens. Okay, let's look at some other news there, Jay. Do you follow the smart modified tools? I've seen some stuff on them. Uh, I'm not real familiar familiar, excuse me, with that, with that series though, no. Well, I tell you what, they had a big fight out there this weekend. Myers uh was disqualified at the most recent Smart Modified Tour race. And so uh, that's kind of opened up some new scenarios for the championship uh, contention that's going on with that series. Uh, The defending Smart Modified Tour champion, Burt Myers, was seeking his first victory in two full seasons and a berth in the Smart Championship 3 to repeat his 21 title. but it wasn't going to happen this week. In the post-race technical inspection, a data acquisition device was found on Myers' number one machine, resulting in his disqualification. So Brian Lofton was credited with the race victory, and as a result, Myers lost all of his points that were associated with his win, and he was eliminated from the Smart Championship 3. So uh wasn't a good idea to do that. No, and this is one of those things. It's very unfortunate. I, I know we talked about it, especially at the NASCAR's top level, um, but it goes through all the series, that they've got to enforce the rules, and, and no matter who it is, driver involved, championship contender or not, enforce it. Uh, obviously creates some, uh, some situations, some controversies, and some frustrations but they're doing the right thing because that establishes that line of if you're going to do it, Sharon, I know you're a big component of that, of you want your champion to represent as a true champion, 
that got there by racing his way there, not cheating his way there. Integrity counts. A big deal in my book. Okay, let's uh, move over to the Arca Menards here, or to the Arca West series because uh, uh, we're running out of time here. Taylor Gray won out at the Bullring in Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, I hear about the Bullring out at Las Vegas so much, and I'm so happy that I was finally able to watch a race out there. He pretty much dominated the entire night, and I got to tell you, you couldn't ask for uh, a better winner. He took time before the race. He was up in the stands with the fans, shaking hands, signing off. After the race, what did he do? He came back out into the stands and spent time with the fans. And I give him a lot of kudos for doing that. Well, that is awesome. And and this is one that uh, we've seen the Grays uh, making a name for themselves as they move along with uh, David Gill and racing. Um, that I think we're going to see big things from. And that's great to hopefully I know they get a little busier as you move up in, up to another level, um, but that they maintain that relationship because that's what the, what the sport is built on, truthfully. Exactly right. It's the fans that keep coming back to watch. It was a race in the series that he was able to win and his eighth victory of the ARCA division. Uh, Gray, of course, is with David Gilliland Racing. Uh, the second-place driver, I was impressed with him as well. Uh, we're talking about Andres Delara. Let me see if I can get his name right here. Perez Delara. It was Andres Perez Delara. And uh, he really came through the field to get that second-place finish and did a spectacular job of racing through the field. He, had, he was there for a while, went back for a while, was back up in the front, uh, and he really did a great job. But he's racing with David Gilliland Racing. Uh, so they had a 1-2 finish this week. And that, that was great to see. I know that's one that the crossover with your Mexican drivers, we've seen it with a, with a couple uh, I was a little surprised to see that kind of uh, action on a short track. I know normally they start out and show their talent on the road course where we seen, uh, saw Andres uh, Perez de Lala make his, uh, another start. Uh, to see it on a short track is really great and gives me hope for that future that he can make his name there in the West Series uh, on all types of tracks. You know, we've seen that with ones that are road course specialists, if you want to call them that. But to see him battle on a short track and some of the other tracks uh, gives me real good hope for his future there in the series. Absolutely. I think we would definitely see more of Andres uh, Perez de Lora. Now, Landon Lewis, he ended. He was second for most of the night, uh, but he ended up settling for third place while Kyle Keller and Buddy Shepard completed the top ten. Both of those are uh, 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 local drivers. And then rounding out the top ten in the Star Nursery 150 were Tanner Rife, Bradley Erickson, the Arca West Points leader, Jake Drew, Jacob Smith, and Todd Souza. I kept my eye on that uh, number nine of Jake Drew for Sunrise Racing. I was uh, really thinking he might make his field, and he did uh, for a while, but uh, it just wasn't going to happen for him out at the bullring this weekend. Uh, The competition was too uh, stiff with Taylor Gray and uh, Andres Perez de Lora. 
And that was something to watch for sure. I look at it, your top three, excuse me, um, in the points, Tanner Reef trying to make up ground. Um, and it was a big hill to climb anyway. But your top three regular season uh, competitors for the championship are sixth, eighth, and then Todd Souza was tenth. Um, so that is a little bit surprising. And we'll take a quick peek at the points here uh, before we change over. Yeah to the uh, NASCAR truck series, but that was a little bit surprising, but you mentioned it. I think there was, what did we list on the previous show? 26 drivers entered for this race there at the bull ring. So uh, that, that makes it even tougher. It does indeed. It does indeed. But Jake did uh, manage to expand his uh, points lead. Yeah, that's why I say Tanner Reif, uh, the one Reif, the, the one to try and make up the ground, uh, only finished two positions in front of him, and they were back a little further through through the field. Uh, it's tough to do. So I, I wouldn't want to say that that they were, and you'd know better, Sharon, being that you said you were keeping an eye on them. If they, you know, you may not be able to win the championship with three races to go, but you might cost yourself that. So I don't know if they had a conservative approach of that or not. It's possible. They kind of raced together throughout the event. Uh, They were within one or two cars of each other. Um, Now, uh, Jake's got a pretty commanding lead, though, so I don't think he's in jeopardy. The next race is the season finale. So uh, do you want to go ahead and cover those points real quick before we move on? All right. Well, you mentioned you mentioned it. Uh, he was able to extend it. It's now 56 points with just one race remaining. So, unofficially, should be your your champion, um, Jake Drew. Four wins out of ten races on the year. Tanner Reef uh, has two victories, and then Cole Moore in third place. And I didn't I didn't even scroll how far down. I thought Todd was third. Cole Moore is actually in third with one victory. It did tighten the rest of the pack up though. Tanner Reef uh, back 56, Cole Moore now at minus 57, and Todd Souza at, my, Todd Souza at minus 66. Uh, Joey East is currently in fifth, and he did get a top 10 uh, real close to it there, um, sitting fifth in points. And then Takuma Koga at minus 129, and Bridget Burgess at minus 134. And I know we want to kind of highlight that in just a little bit, the uh, Burgess, as we mm-hmm. heard the audio going into the race. Some history making there. Both of them moved up nine positions, I saw. Yes. Bridget Burgess, the daughter of Sarah Burgess, both racing together in the same track on the same night. And uh, it's the first time, I think, that there's been a mother-daughter team. We've heard of uh, father and son teams. Uh, racing together, but this was the mother and the daughter. Sarah usually is the crew chief for Bridget Burgess, so uh, she kind of stepped out of her crew chiefing role uh, to be a competitor and uh, did fairly well. Uh, it was it was fun to watch them, and I will say they all came up into the stands, and uh, when they do the introductions, they're. They're walking through the stands so that all the fans can kind of say hello and and let them know that they're where the support is. And that is one of the great things you get to see uh, a little more so when you talk about short tracks. I know Bristol does that with the driver introductions. Your short track's able to do that. Um, Bridget Burgess ended up finishing 12th 
or Sarah Bird just finished 17th, and I say I believe they both moved up nine positions. Sarah starting 26, shotgun on the field, moved up to 17th, and Bridget starting 21st, moved up to 12th. So uh, I feel it was a very successful weekend with uh, just getting to compete together, but also, like I mentioned, uh, of racing their way forward. Yes, indeed. Takuma Koga, I was kind of excited about him being in the race. Uh, he comes all the way from Japan, and I got to tell you, I felt my heart broke for him. Uh, he did have a little bit of an issue there and ended up uh, uh, not getting the finish that he deserved. Uh, so that was kind of a heartbreaker. <clears throat> and I know that was a milestone for him, making a 100th start in the Arca Menards West. So uh, certainly not yes. how you wanted to do that, but did set a, a, a tremendous milestone there. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move on now to our NASCAR Truck Series. Again, they did not race this weekend, uh, but they will be back on the track next weekend. They'll be racing out at Homestead Miami Speedway, and this is a playoff elimination race for the Truck Series. Uh, Their race starts at 1.15 p.m. Eastern Time. That's Saturday, October the 22nd. And it will be televised on Fox Sports 1, as well as radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM Channel 90. Uh, There's so much news that's coming out in the truck series as well. Uh, The answer list will go over it Thursday night when we do our preview show. But I just want to mention Haley Deacon, who is normally a NASCAR truck series driver, did race in the Xfinity Series and came home with a 13th place finish in her Xfinity Series debut. I thought that was pretty impressive. And if I'm not mistaken, that is the highest finishing uh, position for a female in their debut. Um, So that was great. We talked about that on the preview show. We still don't know exactly what her future holds. Um, So if that's an addition to get a full-time ride in the Xfinity Series, I know she talked about coming back. As she put it, if somebody wants to pay the bills, she certainly will drive. That's always the key factor. Exactly. Those bills stack up uh, without a sponsor. So sponsors are super, super important. Okay, also, uh, uh, just to kind of catch everybody up, the Talladega penalties that were announced, uh, for the number four team, they originally were going to appeal that penalty. They have dropped the appeal, and Rodney Childers did serve his penalty, uh, the start of his penalty this week. He was out for three races. Uh, this race and the next two races, Homestead and Martinsville, but he will be returning back as the crew chief on top of the pit box on uh, the season finale out at Phoenix in November. So uh, they did drop that uh, panel. Well, and this one's been been carrying over for a couple of weeks for sure uh, since it happened. And the fact that they did, uh, I know initially this was actually a second race out because with the appeal, they, they initially were going to appeal, but they sat him out the previous week as well. Now with him serving this one as his second one, oh, you yeah. mentioned he'll be back for, for Phoenix, which I find really interesting because we know 
Kevin Harvick's history at Phoenix. So Kevin Harvick could still play a big spoiler here in the Cup Series uh, playoffs in the championship round. Yes, indeed. And I know we've talked about this on Hot Topics before, too. I happened to notice there was a tweet from Rodney Childers, the crew chief, and uh, he said that uh, uh, calling the race from the war room (laughs) was not too bad this week, which means uh, that he was calling the race from his home office, if you will. And uh, even though he was uh, suspended from the track, uh, I think Rodney Childers was still very much involved. So it makes you wonder just how how much penalties are really hurting the team. Well, and here's the thing, and I know we don't want to get into a full hot topic on this, of it is a matter of what it was is a loose wheel, which cost them the, the four races. They want to stop that from a safety aspect. Um, you're right. As far as a penalty itself, it doesn't particularly hurt the team. We've seen especially your bigger teams have the depth that they bring somebody else in and then are still in direct communication with uh, the crew chief, whoever it be, that they do from the war room at their home shop or office. So uh, it doesn't truly take them out of the game, which I don't know that NASCAR is necessarily looking to do that, but it also then doesn't fully impact as far as a penalty. So they're kind of in a box there. I'm not sure to the fixed action to that. Again, the, the concern is safety, keeping the wheels on the car. I mean, that's the biggest safety, and that's why this four-race no, suspension. Well, I take that back. You know what? This one, I take that back, because this one was the suspension due to the deck lid. That yeah, then I have the more of a problem with right. it. That's right. I, for, I forgot. This one wasn't the tire. I know we got one coming with tire issue from this weekend. So, yeah, no, I this do think the that I, I changed my answer. <laughs> let, me, let me change my answer. I do think they need to do more with that of keeping that, that team member, in this case the crew chief, from the team because that one was a huge penalty. Yeah, I was just going to say you're absolutely right about the tires. That's a, that's a safety issue no matter how you look at it. And we saw tires come off out at uh, Las Vegas this week too. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just don't think that making the crew chief stay away from the track is really making that much of a difference. The only does is it gives the guy next in line a chance to get some experience on top of the box, but he's still communicating with the crew chief as if he was sitting right next to him. So I don't get how that really is a penalty. Well, we'll we'll have to see what NASCAR does for next year if they make any changes to that. But uh, some other news coming out of uh, the Truck Series. AM Racing is fielding both an Xfinity and a Truck Series team for next year. Have you seen that news? I'm sorry, what was that one? AM Racing, the team with uh, Mike, uh, not Michael Self, but um, Austin Wayne Self. Uh, is fielding the Xfinity and the truck teams, two series next year. That is an interesting one. We've seen some other drivers doing this, um, and I don't know. I know Austin Wayne Self stepped away for a little bit earlier this year um, for personal reasons, I think that was. But we've seen it with uh, Jordan Anderson as the first one that comes to mind. Uh, And these teams like that are ones that are truly – uh, self-owned, self-driven, self-worked uh, teams 
that are really building something. I mean, we've seen some great runs by drivers with the uh, Jordan Anderson team, and I think AM Racing can do the same thing. So I'm happy to see that. We'll see what they get together as far as sponsorship and then driver announcements. Uh, you know, if Austin does some starts himself or if they do a rotation of driver or if they get a full-time driver. Okay. Two other bits of news here that I want to bring up, and I'll let you choose which one you want to talk about in our last minute here. David Gilliland Racing is returning to Toyota's for next season, and Chandler Smith is going to drive full-time in the Xfinity Series next season for College Racing. Well, we kind of touched on both of these, and I don't think either one can be done in a minute, but I'll go with David Gillen Racing. Uh, I think this one is a huge impact. Uh, we, we talked about that. They came in and were kind of becoming Ford's developmental program. Now they're going to swap back over to Toyota, uh, which to me I found a little surprising based on David Gillen's uh, history with Ford and that where they were building with Ford right now. But Toyota needs it because they lost Kyle Busch Motorsports with the truck series. So I think that's a great fill for Toyota. We, we, we've talked about Toyota's losing KBM and the concern there. I think they got, I don't want to say if I say good as pipeline is with Kyle Busch, but a very solid one, no doubt, with uh, David Gillen Racing. Okay. Hey, we're going to go ahead and move on to our next topic here tonight, and that is the Xfinity Series race, uh, playoff race, I should say, out at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this weekend. Josh Berry uh, took the win. Uh, He's driving the number eight Harrison's USA Chevrolet for Junior Motorsports. Mike Bumgarner was the crew chief. It was his... um, Fifth victory in 59 Xfinity Series races. Barry secured his spot into the championship four, the first Xfinity Series driver to secure his spot into that final four. And it was his third victory and 20th top 10 finish for this season. Uh, It also represents his second victory and fourth top 10 finish in four races at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Noah Gregson finished second. He's a Vegas negative. Uh, a lot of cheers for Noah Gregson out at Las Vegas. He posted his eighth top races out at the speed. 23rd top 10 finish this season. Justin Algauer, our Illinois native, uh, finished third, posting his 14th top 10 finish in 17 races at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And Austin Hill, who finished sixth, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Now, Junior Motorsports uh, win uh, with uh, Justin, I'm sorry, Josh Berry. It was Chevrolet's 500th win in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, so they clinched that manufacturer championship this weekend. Well, I got a, I got a question on that because I thought on the broadcast sure. they corrected that that they were still at 499. I know it got mentioned a couple of times by, by the drivers. Yeah, I thought they said it was actually only 4.99. So there is some discrepancy there. I will say that. Oh my gosh! Because they announced it during the race, and so there must have been a little slip up there. So we, we'll have to uh, modify that later on if we get some uh, confirmation on that. Yeah, no, I, I know. Thanks it was for bringing that up. They were talking about that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, I don't know if there was one they figured they weren't counting or something, but yeah, there was some d- discussion with that post race, but big number for them uh, either way, and they're getting real close to it. Oh, okay. So we'll keep an eye on that for sure. Okay. Josh Berry's resume would indicate that he's a top shelf short track racer, but the junior motorsports driver uh, just might need to expand that profile because Barry's number eight junior motorsports Chevrolet led a commanding 65 laps on his way to winning the Alasco Uniforms 302 out at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on Saturday. Uh, he Getting the lead on a late restart, Josh Barry cruised uh, to the Xfinity Series race at the Speedway. This is Barry's second consecutive win in the fall race at Las Vegas and his third win of the season, as we mentioned earlier. The first driver to clinch that championship four spot for the championship race at Phoenix. Despite race high 87 laps, Noah Gregson ended up finishing second. Nate starts at Las Vegas. He has he has top six finishes in each of those races. Just first made it a junior motorsport sweep at the podium, and then it was Ty Gibbs and Trevor Bain rounding out the top five. Austin Hill, we mentioned it earlier, the highest finishing rookie, finishing sixth. Sam Mayer in seventh, Daniel Hemrick in eighth, and Brandon Jones and Anthony Alfredo making up that top 10. Gibbs won the first stage. It was the seventh of, his, of this season. Noah Gregson won the second stage. It was his 14th stage win this year. And the second most of all drivers in a single season since stages were implemented in 2017. There were 14 lead changes among nine drivers and three cautions for 15 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race, 145.613 miles per hour. Uh, your thoughts, Jay, about the top 10? Well, I think you said it very specifically. The top story has to be Josh Berry locking himself into the championship four. We know going in, there were still eight drivers that were contenders. However, you expect Noah Gregson, Ty Gibbs, and I would have said A.J. Allmendinger, uh, your regular season champion, S3, to fairly heavily pencil in. Not that Josh Berry wasn't deserving, but to lock himself in in this first race of the three-race uh, round, uh, put some pressure and change some things throughout the rest of the contenders. Uh, I think Gibbs and Gregson are probably still heavily penciled in. At least one will go in on points, so... Noah Gregson sitting at the top of the points is the most likely. But that definitely changes the dynamic, and it tells you how close the competition is. Noah Gregson second, Justin Algar third, Gibbs fourth, uh, Sam Mayer was seventh, Brandon, uh, Brandon Jones, I think, has been eliminated. Who are our eight here? No, Brandon Jones still one of them, so yeah, He's right now in seventh. Yeah. Yep. So they're finishing in the top 10 in these three race shootouts and you got to gain points or get ahead. Uh, winning is very important. And that's what Josh Berry did. So great for that team, junior motorsports, uh, especially as we see some changes going to be happening at junior motorsports. Uh, Justin Algar will be returning as obviously the veteran of the team, 
but that could become, you know, a Josh Berry-led team here down the road. Yes, indeed. Uh, there's only one playoff driver that didn't finish in the top ten, and that was A.J. Allmendinger. And talking about tires staying on the car, his problem was that he lost tires. So uh, it came completely off the car, and uh, it's never a good situation when that happens. Uh, I mentioned earlier some other drivers uh, in getting that uh, top 13 finish or that 13th place finish. There were some other notables in that group. Uh, Nick Sanchez, the uh, most recent Arkham Menard Series champion, he came home in it with a 12th place finish. Kyle Weatherman finished 14th. That was a great finish for him as well. So uh, Roger Caruth, who comes also from the uh, Arkham Menard Series, he finished. He came home with a 20th place finish. Uh, there were a couple of people having uh, some engine problems or a steering problem. Ryan Sieg out very early, lap 32. He had a steering issue that took him out of the race. <clears throat> was out of the race with an engine issue on lap 52, and J.J. Yaley also had an engine issue on lap 82, taking him out of the race. So uh, these other, several other drivers that didn't complete the entire race, they ended up a lapse down, uh, but only three drivers having mechanics in this race. The margin of victory for Josh Berry, 1.125 seconds. So uh, congratulations to Josh Berry on his win. Do you want to and cover the And you mentioned point? AJ. Um, go okay. ahead. Uh, you mentioned AJ Elmendinger there. Uh, most certainly uh, a, a huge impact for him. And I'm trying to bring up the Xfinity point standings here, as that does shift him, I believe, to below the cut line. Uh, yes, it does. At 44. Oh no no no. 16 back. Austin Hill 15 back. AJ Allmendinger. 16 back. Um, so he's not completely into a must win. But we mentioned if they're all finishing in the top 10, making up 16 points is difficult. Stage points, very important. Uh, I know we says, talk about that more on the cup side um, than here on the Xfinity, but that's going to be very important in making up those points. Yes, it is. And keep in mind that when you get one of those penalties for losing a tire during a race, your crew chief is out for four races. And we just talked about the minimal impact that that actually has. But uh, it's it's just not a good time for that to happen for A.J. Allmendinger because that takes him through uh, the season finale. It does, and you've heard uh, A.J. Allmendinger specifically talk about the team culture there with Colleg Racing, how much he loves racing there, uh, and how important that is as a unit. So that team, it might affect a little bit more, but I also think, though, though that might be the motivation to uh, stand together as a team. So we'll see how it plays out here come Homestead and then uh, Martinsville for the Xfinity Series as they got two more races to go Um Homestead, uh, I know, is not a great track for A.J. Allmendinger, but I think he might be looking for, like you said, redemption. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we've got four drivers above the cut line and four drivers below the cut line after the first race of uh, this round of eight. Yeah, and it, Josh Berry goes to the top. He's locked in. Noah Gregson is second in points. 
up 44 points, and that is almost a full race, so sitting pretty good. Ty Gibbs up 25 in a comfortable position, and then Justin Algar at plus 15. Obviously, any points above is better than below, but not a super secure position as we saw with A.J. Allmendinger. Uh, Austin Hill is the one that is the first one out at minus 15. A.J. Allmendinger, I mentioned, minus 16. Brandon Jones at minus 27, and Sam Mayer at minus 36. Getting real close to uh, almost in the must-win situation already, especially when you talk about having to jump over two, three, three different drivers, see how victories play out. That's one uh, that, in the case like Josh Berry, that you go out and you win and you don't have to worry about it. So, uh, And I feel bad because, like I said, finishing in the top ten uh, up there battling all day, you know, uh, tough to make up uh, even a couple points, let alone a gap like 27 or 36. Exactly. And I think of all these drivers, all of them would like to get that win at all possible out at Homestead Miami Speedway this coming weekend versus trying to do it at the short back of Martinsville uh, the following weekend. So uh, look for the competition to be very stiff this weekend at uh, Homestead Miami and uh, because these drivers that are below the cut line, especially Jones and Sam Mayer, they're in must-win situations or pretty close to it. And you're right, uh, a little bit more pressure, and I, and I would say Brandon Jones maybe a little bit more so. We know that Sam uh, Sam Mayer came from the late models and the Arkham and Arge East Series as well, so maybe a little more short track experience. Not that you want any kind of added pressure at Martinsville, which is a, <laughs> a tornado storm, if you will, all by itself. So, But I think Sam Mayer might have the better option there if need be than what Brandon Jones would. So I think you're going to see a lot out of Brandon Jones uh, come up, Miami Homestead. And then don't forget what you just said about Almendinger, too. He's looking for redemption uh, out at the next race as well, having had a bad situation happen to him in that first race at Las Vegas. So uh, a lot can happen in these next two races. You'll want to stay tuned in uh, to see what happens there. Uh, is, is there any Xfinity Series news you want to make sure we mention, Jay? I don't think so that we had any others coming out of there. Um, I know we're still waiting on some driver announcements. Uh, I know you put one up when it comes to the Cup Series. I don't know that I've heard any official ones, but there are still some question marks throughout. Um, specifically looking here, I see John Hunter Nemechek finished 16th in the Sam Hunt uh, racing, kind of waiting to see if he does another year in the trucks or if he moves to Xfinity Series. Joe Gibbs Racing as a whole, actually. Uh, They got several cars to fill. Um, As we mentioned, Brandon Jones is going to be moving over to Junior Motorsports. So uh, there again, storylines kind of tying together, if you will, uh, as Brandon Jones here battling in the championship round and going to be moving over to or battling in the final eight anyway for the championship, uh, moving over to junior motorsports, certainly an interesting dynamic there as it looks like our champion may come from junior motorsports. We don't know that yet, though. Yeah, not yet. But I will say one of the news is one of the big news stories uh, that we heard this weekend was about the Stuart Haas Racing Xfinity hauler that was involved in an accident on their way to the track this weekend, 
Uh, it happened uh, 40 miles, of, uh, 40 Interstate 40, a few miles west of Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, and uh, I saw pictures of it. The hauler came off of the road. I guess the driver uh, had a little episode, uh, lost consciousness for a few minutes, and the truck uh, veered off of the road. Uh, it didn't turn over or anything like that, uh, but uh, they, they uh, and none of the cars that were inside of the hauler were damaged. They were able to race with those cars. So... Um, it, the statement that came out was that the 98 NASCAR Xfinity Series hauler of Stuart Haas Racing was involved in a single vehicle accident on Interstate 40, uh, just a few miles west of Flagstaff, Arizona. The truck had two occupants, and neither one was seriously injured, although one was taken to the local hospital for further treatment and observation, and of course, that's the driver that uh, lost consciousness. Uh, he he lost control of the truck, which start, struck a guardrail, and it doesn't appear that the vehicles inside were damaged. So um, we're we're it's unfortunate that happened, uh, but it doesn't seem that it had much of an impact to the team over the weekend. They were able no, to get the truck the, out there to retrieve those cars. I did see the picture of it. Very fortunate the way it was up against the guardrail. You mentioned it did not turn over, so that was a huge thing. Um, where it was tucked up against the guardrail, it could have very easily. And I know, you know, we take it for granted, if you will, the amount of time these teams and haulers spend out on the road. I know we've seen a couple throughout the year, but we don't really see a whole lot of this, and that's a good thing. Exactly. So we're just happy that everybody was okay and uh, there was next to no impact to any of the teams. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and move on here uh, to our NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, Joey Logano was the winner. He came out of, uh, he just was a terror at the end of that race. Uh, and you could tell that he was gaining down, ground very quickly and uh, was uh, probably going to end up winning that race. Uh, age 32, driving for the number 22, Pennzoil Ford, with owner Team Penske and crew chief Paul Wolf. Of course, it was Paul Wolf's call that made all the difference in the world to bring him down pit road for fresh tires. It was his 30th victory in 504 Cup Series race. Logano has locked himself into the championship for, again, the first driver in the Cup Series to uh, lock in a spot in the championship for. It's the fifth time that Logano will race for the championship under this current format, and his third victory and 15th top 10 finish in 2022. It is his third victory and 12th top 10 finish in 19 races, at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Ross Chastain finished second, posting his second top 10 finish in nine races at Las Vegas and his 18th top 10 finish for this season. Kyle Busch posted his 14th top 10 finish in 23 races at Las Vegas. And Todd Gilliland, who finished 25th, was the highest finishing rookie of this race. Um, I will say that... Uh, Logano appeared that he came out of nowhere, but it was because he was on those fresh tires uh, that really was the race-winning call. 
he became the first driver to secure that spot into the final four with a shot at the championship title, thanks to the valiant surge to the victory in the final laps of Sunday's South Point 400 at Las Vegas. Logano on fresh Goodyear tires rallied back through the field following a late race pit stop. He was able to pass Trackhouse Racing driver Ross Chastain to lead with just three laps left and driving off to his third win at the 1.5-mile Las Vegas High Banks. It was He was a very slight 0.817 seconds ahead of his fellow playoff driver Chastain, who led a race-best 68 of 267 laps of the afternoon. Chastain um, <clears throat> finished second, followed by Kyle Busch, Chase Briscoe, Denny Hamlin, the pole winner, Tyler Reddick, and Martin Truex Jr. came in in that uh, sixth-place finish, I'm sorry, seventh-place finish, followed by the 43 of Eric Jones, A.J. Allmendinger, and Austin Dillon. Logano took the lead from Chastain with two laps to go and pulled away uh, for that win, locking him into the championship four. Uh, there were playoff drivers, though, that did have troubles. See, Bell, Christopher Bell was caught up in that accident on lap 95 between Bubba Wallace and Kyle Larson. Um, so Larson and Bell will talk about that during Hot Topics. But following the incident, Wallace did confront Larson and shoved him several times before walking away. Bell was unable to continue. He ended up finishing 34th. My heart really went out to him because he is a championship contender, uh, having won one of the previous races uh, during the playoffs. And uh, to be taken out like that and having to come back uh, from finishing, uh, it wasn't last. I think Wallace uh, ended up with the last place finish, then it was Larson, and then it was Bell. So third to the last. Uh, he, he's got to make up for that in these next two races. Um, then also Blaney was running second with 40 laps to go. And he slid up into the outside wall and spun down the track and hit the inside wall. The team made repairs, and he ended up finishing seven laps down in 28th place, another uh, difficult finish for a playoff contender. Stage one was actually won by Bubba Wallace. Stage two was won by Ryan Blaney. Coincidence? (laughs) That both of them ended up having trouble later. There were 18 lead changes among 11 drivers, eight cautions for 42 yellow flag laps, and the average speed of the race was 130.480 miles per hour. Uh, Your thoughts about the top 10, first of all? Wow, there again, a lot of stories. First off, Joey Logano um, (laughs) picking up that victory. He's another one I think was had to be considered one of the favorites to move into the top four. Not flashy with wins this year necessarily, but been solid all year. And I think that is one where maybe the crew chief being at the track, because that was a call they made with where they were running and they weren't making big gains into the top five to have a shot at the victory. They opted to pit and hope that the tires would bring them back to the front, and it did, and he used them uh, big time. Ross Chastain, um, 
that would have been he wasn't my pick, but would have been very happy to see him. And I don't remember which of the broadcasters said it. I mean, he threw some blocks at Joey Logano like we haven't even seen on super speedway racing. I mean, he gave it everything he had. Uh, I wouldn't say anything dirty. I mean, again, he was trying to protect no. his position without a doubt. Um, and Joey, Joey Logano complimented him. Exactly. Joey Logano complimented uh, him on what he was doing. <clears throat> and there was one where Joey did check up. Uh, you know, Joey made the smart move, checked up, and, and took another run at it, and then set him up, if you will, um, a few laps later. So, uh, great season for Trackhouse Racing. They're getting the, got to mention Chase Briscoe having to come from the bottom of the point standings, gets himself a top five. Still think he might need a win. We'll look at the points here in a little bit. But then the only other one here that you have as far as championship contenders uh, in the top 10 is Denny Hamlin. Mentioned here we had several championship contenders. Christopher Bell, obviously the worst for it. You're right. You hate to see that. It is a part of this sport. Your non-playoff contenders out there racing with you. An incident like what happened uh, taking him out. Uh, but we know we've seen him bounce back and do it at the Charlotte Roval. We'll see if he can do it at Homestead or Martinsville to come back and do it again. Same thing for Ryan Blaney. You know, the guy has had such a great season, and now he's kind of behind the ball here. We'll talk about points in just a minute. Uh, but uh, let's talk about the uh, mechanical issues here. Uh well, you know about the situation with Kyle Larson and Bubba Wallace. Again, we'll go into, uh, I'm sure, great detail on this during our Hot Topics uh, in just a few minutes here. Uh, Christopher Bell, uh, they tried diligently to try to get that car back on the track, uh, but they could not do it within the time frame, six minutes for the playoffs. Uh, so he was out uh, on lap 94 for the uh, damaged vehicle policy. Ty Dillon had a suspension issue that uh, him out of the race on lap 237. He ended up finishing 33rd. Uh, Landon Castle was involved in an accident that uh, took him out of the race on lap 246. So uh, he ended up with that 32nd, I'm sorry, yeah, 32nd place finish. And uh, several other drivers uh, finished laps down. Uh, but those were the incidents uh, that uh, were involved in accidents or mechanical issues. With that, I know everybody has their favorites and, and the top drivers in the sport, especially at this time of year, we're talking about playoff drivers, those are the, that are advancing or competing for the championship. But I think there's a couple other storylines you got to look at here when it comes to the top 10 or top finishers. Uh, Tyler Reddick. We heard it announced now he is going to be moving to Team 2311 next year. Still got a top six finish. I know he's not in the playoff contention anymore, um, but had a good run there finishing six. Eric Jones, uh, Petty GMS, finishing in the A spot. Those These teams, what I'm looking at is what we could see for next year. Teammate, going to be a teammate for him next year. Noah Gregson in the number 48 for... Alex Bowman got an 11th place finish. And then the other one, A.J. Allmendinger, ninth place finish with the, uh, in the 16. These weren't supposed to be his races, but with the deal that's going on with Noah Gregson, 
Uh, moving on, he's been in the uh, college racing number 16, going to go full-time next year. Got himself a ninth-place finish there at Las Vegas. So I think there's a lot of things that we're looking at for next year as well as these teams are building momentum. Yeah, you bring up a great point. Um, there are four drivers uh, that are in the playoffs that finished in that top ten. That means there are four other drivers uh, that did not finish in that top ten. We mentioned uh, Christopher Bell. Uh, there's also William Byron who finished in 13th place. Chase Elliott, uh, another bad start to uh, this time the round of eight. Uh, he's had a bad start, I think, in each of these rounds. Uh, Chase Elliott ended up with a 21st place finish. And uh, Ryan Blaney, we mentioned earlier, he ended up in 28th place. Uh, is that four? Yeah, that's the four, uh, including uh, Christopher Bell. So uh, let's go ahead and cover the points and how they ended up points-wise uh, for this first race in the round of 12. I mean, I'm sorry, round of eight. And it definitely does shake things up, the good finish and bad finish you mentioned there. Joey Logano, the best finish, got the victory, locked into the championship four. Ross Chastain is now your top person driver in points at plus 18 uh, from the cut line. Chase Elliott, you mentioned a rough start to a round. Starts each round with the playoff points he's built up the regular season. Uh, throughout the regular season is only 17 to the good. Tight at the line, Denny Hamlin plus six. And we mentioned he had a good run. William Byron, not so much, at minus six. Chase Briscoe is only at minus nine. And again, he started at the very bottom. Uh, Ryan Blaney still in contention, minus 11. And then Christopher Bell, unfortunately, really close at minus 23. Uh, really, really close to that must-win situation already. Uh, so we'll see what as we go into Homestead, Miami. The one thing for Chase Elliott fans, Martinsville, the final event of the round, uh, that's Hendricks Playground. Chase Elliott has had some great runs there. So that one definitely going to be interesting and does play favor to Chase Elliott, but he's not going to want to depend on that. I guarantee you that. Well, we saw Christopher Bell uh, be in last place in the elimination race of the round of 12, and he went out and won that elimination race to put himself into the round of eight. Can he do it again for the round of four, or I'm sorry, the championship four, for that final race at Phoenix uh, Raceway in November? We'll have to wait and see what happens. A lot of storylines in both the Kennedy Series and the Cup Series for fans to follow in these next uh, races. What, three more races left before the end of the season. And, and that's a great thing about this playoff format like that. And we saw it, as you mentioned, at the Roval of teams that are points racing think they're good on points, know where their closest competitor is. If somebody from below the cut line wins the race, gets up there and wins the race like Christopher Bell did, I mean, that changes everything, and that changes who you're racing, and, uh, you know, one or two positions on the track become very, very important. It sure does. Okay, it is time for us to move on now to our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and uh, there's one topic that I think uh, is at the top of the list, Jay. You want to go ahead and start with that one? 
Well, it certainly was. Uh, we said, we've talked about it a couple of times here. Situation between Bubba Wallace and Kyle Larson. Uh, Kyle Larson made a three-wide move underneath Kevin Harvick and Bubba Wallace up on the high side. Harvick backed out as Larson came up the track, bumped into, Lar- uh, bumped into Bubba Wallace, uh, kind of pinned him up against the wall. With that, and we'll get into our opinions on that, Wallace come off the wall straight down into Larson, both of them out, and it collected Christopher Bell. And that was on the track. Off the track, we had some uh, high fives to the shoulder or head, I guess. <laughs> Bubba Wallace giving a, a little bit of shoving lessons there in the uh, infield afterwards. Yes, indeed. There's so much to uh, talk about here. Where do I begin? Uh, let me go ahead and start uh, with the most recent uh, part of this storyline, and that is that Bubba Wallace did post a tweet earlier this evening, uh, and I'm going to read it verbatim uh, what he posted here. He says, I want to apologize for my actions on Sunday following the on-track incident with Kyle Larson and the number five car. My behavior does not align with the core values that are shared by 2311 Racing and our partners who have played a crucial role in my incredible journey to the top of this great sport. I want to apologize to NASCAR and fans along with Christopher Bell Joe Gibbs Racing, and Toyota for putting them in a situation in the playoffs that they do not deserve. I compete with immense passion, and with passion at times with, uh, at times comes frustration. Upon reflecting, I should have represented our partners and core team values better than I did by letting my frustrations follow me outside of the car. You live and learn, and I intend to learn from this. Um, so an interesting uh, apology from Bubba Wallace, and uh, uh, I do have to give him kudos for standing up and, and making an apology. We know that we'll probably hear about whether or not NASCAR is going to uh, issue a penalty to Bubba Wallace for tomorrow. I've listened to a lot of conversation about uh, what should or should not happen uh, with Bubba Wallace and incident. Uh, there's just so much to happen there. Uh, one of the first things was when he got out of the car, somebody pointed out earlier today that it wasn't really a NASCAR official. It was one of the medical people that first responded to the incident. Um, and they tried to address him uh, as far as dealing with any injuries that he might have had or whatever, and he kind of pushed them aside uh, before walking down the track, which, first of all, you're not supposed to do that. The rule from NASCAR is that uh, if you have an incident, you are to stay in your car until medical assistance and the uh, medical or in the emergency vehicles uh, are able to take care of the situation. So he obviously did not do that. Uh, When the NASCAR officials did come, uh, what he did was the NASCAR official was telling him that he should not be walking down the track. Uh, He did not listen to that. He did not follow the direction of the NASCAR official. He kept walking. Uh, That was a no-no. 
then when he went to uh, address Kyle Larson and he did the shoving match, uh, I, I gained a great deal of respect for Kyle Larson for not shoving back. Kyle was trying to explain to him uh, and talk to him while Bubba didn't want to hear it and continued to shove him. So there are several incidents there where I feel like, and, and that's not even going back. I can go back even further now that I'm thinking about it. I should have started with what happened on the track. What happened on the track, it looked to me like Kyle Larson uh, got very he, – he, some people say that he didn't even touch him. I'm not sure if that was the case or if he did touch him. It was a very slight touch, but apparently it was enough uh, to cause Bubba Wallace to hit the wall. Uh, that's what upset Bubba Wallace. And so when he came back down uh, the track, he nudged um, uh, Kyle Larson. And then when Kyle Larson went low to try to avoid that, uh, Bubba Wallace literally turned his car into uh, Kyle Larson and uh, kind of pushed him a little bit further off the track. Uh, and, and caused him to spin off the track. Uh, so that, that also I didn't think was a good thing. Now, from what I'm hearing, what Bubba has said is that there was a steering issue, and that's why that happened. Um, I know NASCAR has a lot of data that they are looking at uh, to determine if, in fact, there was a steering issue. Uh, if there was a steering issue, then I wouldn't expect any. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect necessarily fines to happen. However, if NASCAR checks over the car and they find out that there was no steering issue, uh, that is not going to reflect very well on Bubba Wallace either. So I don't think he helped himself. If in fact there was no steering issue, the interview when they interviewed him after visiting the medical center. He also um, uh, I don't know. I, I his his interview rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Let me just put it that way. So I I I don't think that he helped himself with that interview either. <laughs> um we'll have to wait and see what NASCAR finds from the review that they are currently doing. Uh, they'll listen to radio uh, communications. They'll listen to uh, on both, in both parties uh, and everything else. As far they'll look at the data of what was happening. Uh, was, you know, somebody, I don't think he was hitting the brake at all. I think that he was uh, pretty much going full steam ahead when he turned into Carl uh, Larson. Um, but that, they'll review all of that, and they will find out if there was a problem uh, or what happened in that situation, and we'll wait and find out when NASCAR has to say about it. However, uh, I don't think his story holds a lot of water because – if you had an incident like that and your steering went out and you wanted to – wouldn't you want to explain that to the competitor that your steering went out and that that wasn't an intentional thing? Bubba's words did not match up with what his actions were. 
on that in that situation. And I have a little bit of a problem with that because I think if there was a steering issue, he would be approaching Kyle Bush in an entirely different way than the way that he approached him. Um, let's see, what else? There's so much that I had on my mind about this. I, I just think that uh, uh, we'll have to wait and see what NASCAR comes out with tomorrow because I don't think we're going to have to wait till Wednesday to find out their thoughts on this. I think we're going to hear a lot about it uh, tomorrow. So, Jay, I'll go ahead and let you say your thoughts before we do the second round on this. Well, and that might take a while. Like you said, there is a lot to cover within the whole entirety of the situation. Um, I'm going to try and do like you did. I'll go back to on the track. And we'll we'll walk through that first, I guess, uh, and try and remember the other things I want to get to. But... On the track, there was a little bit of a bump between Larson and Bubba. Larson drifted up the track, couldn't hold his car down, did bump a little bit. Bubba was far enough up the track where that put him into the wall um, when he got bumped. From what I saw, just and there's no in-car, I don't have the data that NASCAR is going to review, from there off the wall, he went straight down the track into the infield. It did happen to clip the rear of Kyle Larson. I don't know if brakes were used, how much steering he put into it. Uh, I think this one can be pointed in either direction, depending on which side of the fence you're on. With that then of getting out of the car and going down to Kyle Larson in the infield, uh, you hit on something there. I think most definitely a penalty is going to come for putting your hands on, as you said, it wasn't one of the NASCAR officials. It was one of the AM uh, safety response people that were trying to get him to go into the ambulance and go to the infield care center, which is a requirement. I think no matter what, that's going to be a, a fine penalty of some sort, because no matter what the sport, you're, you're not to put your hands on an official um, and a safety worker, especially, uh, who's just there to try and help. So with that, I'd have to agree with you, Sharon. I got a lot of respect for Kyle Larson. Um, he took it and in his post-race, if you saw in his post-race, he said, Bubba's got a reason to be mad. I wrecked him. I mean, I, I caused that. He's got the reason to be mad. I understand that. Took the shoves and never, never even raised a hand back. Uh, the, the hand raise was to protect himself knowing it was coming, um, and accepted it. And I think he even released a statement. He said he doesn't necessarily want to see Bubba Wallace suspended, as some have been calling for. Mm -hmm. Um, But that something does need to be addressed or it will keep happening. So with that, I think NASCAR has put themselves in kind of a box here because in the past we've seen it most recently with William Byron. You admit it, you're going to get penalized um, and then hope it gets overturned. But uh, that's the biggest thing is don't outright admit it. And I know during Bubba Wallace's interview, and I don't remember who was uh, – Sharon, do you remember who was doing the interview? Was it Marty? Marty, Marty Schneider. Uh, there you go, Marty Schneider. And Bubba Wallace told him, quit fishing, you know, because uh, <laughs> he asked a couple of times of, you know, did you have a problem with the steering in the car what happened? Bubba told him quit fishing. So one way or another, he, he said he's not going to admit it because he knows that'll get him in trouble. So NASCAR has kind of set that standard of 
you admit it, we got to do something. If you don't admit it, then we got to try and prove it and go through all this and maybe not worth the time. Um, my thing is with fans that are screaming for suspension, and uh, somebody else on Twitter referenced this, when Matt Kenseth took out Joey Logano at Martinsville, the entire crowd cheered. And myself being one of them, actually. I wasn't at the race, but I did cheer. <laughs> Yet now it's Bubba Wallace, and they want driver suspension. They cheer when Chase Elliott does it, and I will use him just because he is the NASCAR's most popular driver. When he does something, people want to want to cheer, and it's great for the sport. They don't want to see a vanilla driver with no emotions and all this. When it's not their favorite driver, they want to see him suspended and taken out of the sport. You can't have it both ways. We've seen it. Bubba Wallace is an emotional person. Uh, runs good and finishes second. We've seen him in post-race interviews. Very emotional. Uh, top five or whatever in a race he feels he could have won and get, maybe gave away. Very emotional. And, and you saw that with the uh, apology he issued today. Uh, and I was sure that would come because he's right. You know, that's not how he normally conducts himself as a whole. Just got the better. The moment got the better. I mean, Kyle Larson said that too. Uh, with even if there is a possibility that he was intentionally wrecked, Kyle Larson said, "Hey, we've all done it, myself included." So he understood that, and he understood Bubba Wallace was frustrated. So I don't know what the fix action is here. If it, if it needs to be a suspension or not, I I don't view it as necessarily needing to be suspended. And depending on what they find in the data, as you mentioned, of, that they can look at if there was a steering problem, if, if he attempted to use the brakes at all, or what. I just think they're going to open a, a can there of, how do you say, a very slippery slope. Because, again, does that mean anytime you bump somebody, that's intent? Now you got to go with intent. Anytime you nudge somebody, that they're going to suspend you? You know, where do you draw that line? So I think they got to be real careful this, about this. Um, but we'd also don't want to see, and I know that then it gets brought to Kurt Busch and Alex Bowman. Had Kyle Larson come around, or I don't remember how Christopher Bell, when he got hit, if he hit the wall, with the backing into the wall, we've seen some issues with a, a hard hit and concussion. So we don't want to see that. Um, it's unfortunate. I mean, it really was. And, and Bubba Wallace, you mentioned it, had picked up, uh, I think, stage one victory, had a car that was capable of running top five and possibly winning. So obviously very frustrated in that moment. Yeah, I, I agree. And, I, and I, when I look at that, he could have continued on in the race. That's, even after he hit the wall, they could have come to pit road, they could have fixed that up right away, and he'd be back in the race. So he hurt uh, his, uh, himself in, in that whole process. To me, it was more of a racing incident. I don't think Kyle Larson had any intent of hurting him. He realized after he got in there he'd gone too far. Uh, like you say, he, he said he felt the Wallace had every reason to be upset with him. But here's where I think the difference comes in. Uh, when you talk about William Byron on pit road, he's going at a much lower rate of speed on pit road. Um, some of these other incidents did happen during cautions. Uh, this happened during the race, and it was at a high rate of speed. 
<laughs> and I think that's where uh, a very clear message needs to be made with Bubba Wallace. Originally, I was saying he needs to be set up in two races. We need to sit him out two races uh, because that's just uncalled for. And I'm going back to what happened to Bush when he hit Ron Hornaday. And Ron Hornaday hit the wall face, you know, right into the uh, uh, front of of his truck. Uh, And that was during a caution, by the way, as well. Uh, Kyle Larson was suspended for a couple of races and uh, was not allowed to get back in. He had sponsors that were upset. He wasn't even sure if his sponsor was going to come back uh, the following year. So there was a lot of issues there. Now, having said that, I will also say that no two incidences, no incidences are exactly the same. There are differences with all of the different things that have happened that NASCAR needs to review. Uh, and so, and that's why they said these rules are sometimes loose, is because no two incidences are exactly the same. Um, so I, I do think that that's something that should be taken into consideration here as well. So, and I'm sure that that's what NASCAR is going to be doing tonight, tomorrow, whenever, uh, tomorrow morning, whenever they come out with this, uh, after reviewing all of the data that's available. Because remember, in some of these situations, I don't think NASCAR had the same kind of data available to them that they have now. So, in some respects, comparing what happened yesterday um, with Bubba Wallace is never it's going to be comparing apples to oranges in a lot of respects because uh there's technology that's different there's um situations that are just different but i think the major difference here is the rate of speed that he was driving when he took Kyle Larson out um the other thing is that um uh uh, I started to tell you, originally I wanted him to be set out for two races. But here's the thing. I think that what they may want to do is maybe send Bubba Wallace to anger management and maybe even sensitivity training. I do think that he overreacted to the situation. I, uh, and I think that there might be some reasons why he overreacted to the situation. So I think that, that if NASCAR would be – uh, very prudent in suggesting that, or not suggesting, but expecting him to go through anger management and sensitivity training. Um, I do think, because when he approached uh, Kyle Larson and Kyle Larson, it, I, I heard comments today that it almost looked like he was pushing Kyle Larson to react and to push him back. Uh, and uh, that's unfortunate. I, I don't think that um, – I think that when he saw that Kyle Larson was not pushing back, he should have stopped, and he didn't uh, because of not being able to control that anger. Um, so I do think he needs to go through some sensitivity training and the anger management. Uh, I also think that he was not following a direction a clear direction that was given to him by a NASCAR official 
to get into <laughs> Stop marching forward, number one, and to uh, get into the uh, ambulance. Uh, Those are two big reasons why I think that there should be a penalty uh, of that nature. Whether or not they're going to sit him out of race, I don't know. I know a lot of people are calling for that. Maybe that's not as necessary as him having to go through some kind of – additional training to help him control that anger. Uh, I I think that would be more important than him sitting out a race. Uh, The other thing that I I was saying is I hope somebody, whether it be Michael Jordan, uh, the co-owner, Denny Hamlin as a co-owner, you know, uh, so many other people, or NASCAR, uh, somebody needs to sit down, review that video, with uh, Bubba Wallace and make it really clear to him all of the different things that he did that hurt himself more than anybody else uh, in that situation with the exception of um, maybe uh, Christopher and Kyle Larson. Uh, But he really did a lot of damage to himself uh, with the way that he handled that situation. And somebody needs to sit him down and have that conversation with him. And I hope that that apology is an indication that somebody's already done that. Uh, I can't think of anything more to say right now, but what, what do you have to add, Jay? Whoops. Uh, we, we've seen that in the past with the, uh, the eye racing where uh, Bubba Wallace had a temper issue or whatever and shut down that it did cost him a sponsor. Um, I believe it was mm-hmm. Blue Emu that uh, pulled sponsorship from him. So we have seen that in the past. And I do think uh, Michael Jordan will sit down with him. I don't know if Denny Hamlin's the one to sit down with him when it comes to uh, expressing yourself and anger management, but that's just my opinion. Um the anger management, I, I, I do think that is a tool that NASCAR maybe has at their discretion. Uh, I believe it was Denny Hamlin. Uh, I think that one was more on the sensitivity side um, that they mandated with uh, with Denny Hamlin having to go to. So, yeah, I, I think that is a tool that they certainly do need to look at and include in part of any kind of repercussions that come from it. But as I mentioned, I mean, fans say they want to see that. They don't want to see the driver that gets out and is just okay with everything, no matter where they finish, how they run, whatever happens. But yet then when they get it, they want to scream that they want suspensions. So, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of this depends, uh, like I said, of just the one-shot viewpoint that I've seen anyway so far um, of the, uh, the incident. It looked to me, and I, you know, you mentioned he might be able to get back in the race. I don't know, because I don't know how badly the suspension was hurt from the right side coming off the wall. Once he clipped Kyle Larson, uh, the left side obviously would have had some additional issues. And whether or not that was intentional, I, I don't know. Uh, like I said, from, my, from what I saw, came off the wall, went directly into the infield. It did happen to come across mm-hmm. Kyle Larson as, he, as it went to the infield. We don't. We haven't seen in-car camera of any kind of steering. Now you mentioned, and I understand that when you talk about, say, comparing back to especially years past, the technology and information that NASCAR has to look at 
And these teams need to be aware of that, um, that they can't get away with and hide it. You know, we, we talk about drivers that wear white gloves. I think back to Carl Edwards, Brad Keselowski, and Denny Hamlin when they were involved <laughs> in a feud, and I think that was at Atlanta. You know, uh, yep. Carl Edwards wearing white gloves didn't do himself no favors. We saw it down the straightaway. He turned to the right. We saw his hands go to the right with the white gloves. Yep. Like, yeah, that's yep. probably not a good thing to have on if you're going to do something like that. Um, but there, too, that one wasn't penalized. Uh, I think they did eventually tell him to knock it off, that they weren't going to take it anymore um, as those two went back and forth. Uh, if I recall correctly, it was Denny Hamlin that actually said, hey, I'm going to find a car and run the Xfinity race the next week strictly to go after Carl Edwards. Yep. You know, I know that was kind of under the boys have at it, have at it attitude, but we're in a different situation now, especially with this next gen car and some of the issues we've talked about that we have. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Like I said, I see both sides to it. Uh, as Kyle Larson said, he doesn't necessarily want to see him suspended, but he understands if they do, because the situation does need to be addressed. Correct. Okay, I want to make sure we mention Mike Orzel's uh, take on this as well. Uh, he says, clearly the message wasn't delivered with the Byron penalty, uh, and he's got Park Bubba question mark. So here's my take, he says. Uh, you think a driver whose own teammate suffered a career-ending injury just a couple months ago would think twice about rear-ending someone. Really only two possible conclusions to draw here. He was so overcome with anger that all rational thought went out the window. And there is some, there is some validity to that because I happen to know from communications training that I've taken that when you are in an emotional state, your rational thinking stops. It actually is a, a physical thing that happens within your brain that cuts off your rational thinking. So that can happen. Uh, number two, he knew the risk of what he was going to do and chose to do it anyway, knowing full well the danger he was putting Larson into. Uh, and then it goes on to say either one of those conclusions means that he has absolutely no business in a, in a race car. Again, this is from Mike Orzel, one of our fan for racing crew members. NASCAR and all teams have the data. NBC already showed the throttle data that showed that he stayed wide open until after the impact. I'm willing to bet the steering trace data will show what we saw from outside of the car, a clear and intentional left turn to target the number five car. If that's the case, that's probably the most egregious and dangerous takeout in a long time. And I will say Chocolate Myers said that today too. And he said, I've seen a lot of these incidents and this one is probably the most egregious. Um, that's from Chocolate Myers as well as uh, Mike Orzel here. They were pretty much... Uh, at race speed, 150 miles per hour, and Larson was on the bottom of the track with a long way to go to get to the wall. So that's Mike Orzel's take on it. I think we had something here from uh, Andy Orzel, or Andy Orzel, Andy uh, Lasky as well. Andy said, uh, he said, uh, I won't be on either tonight, uh, meaning he won't be on the show tonight. Haven't seen the full race, but I did see the big incident. I'm not going to get too opinionated, but the short answer is park him. Uh, he has to be held accountable for his actions. Larson's could have been seriously hurt 
Anything less than that will be highly unacceptable. So there's a couple of other takes. Uh, Mike also says in this particular thread, uh, well, we don't know Larson wasn't seriously hurt. Bush and Bowman seemed fine until the end of the following week when they abruptly withdrew from the race. Fortunately, it does appear that Larson didn't have a hard rear impact of any in any of the collisions, so I'm hopeful that he's okay as he appeared to be yesterday. So there's a couple of other thoughts. My one other additional thought that I want to just kind of bring up here is that I went through, uh, again, I've been through a lot of training, and one of the things that have come up in my, my journey of training here is that there is a difference between being assertive and being aggressive. Being aggressive is when you violate the rights of other people. Being assertive is when you can state your point without violating the rights of other people. And if, if Bubba Wallace can learn how to manage his anger and be assertive, uh, addressing the issue, not the person, uh, is, is one of the big rules of communication. Uh, is, 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 and those are the thing, kind of things that he will learn when he goes through anger management. Uh, it is important that people understand you can be assertive where you sometimes run into problems is when you start being aggressive and violating the rights of other people. And I think we've had a rash of that lately, uh, and there was a lot of disrespect that was shown uh, throughout that incident, and I think that that's uh, not okay. I think that... We need to get back to respecting one another, and and I'd like to see more of that on the racetrack, personally. Jay, do you have any more you wanted to say? Yeah, the the, the only other add, uh, add thing I'd like to add there is what Mike referenced, though, of NASCAR not learning the lesson that NASCAR was trying to send with the William Byron situation. That was under caution, and I know I saw a lot yeah. of it most of it coming from uh, the Stuart Haas camp, uh, several within there on Twitter of, okay, so going into the championship, as long as you wreck somebody under green or whatever, it's okay. Just don't do it under caution and don't admit it, which uh, Bubba Wallace obviously picked up from that. There was no admission of it. Um, But everything from that was not under caution. Um, So we'll have to see how NASCAR does now handle this and again, maybe adjust their rule. Um, like I said, it's it's a tough because you don't want to put handcuffs on the driver, but you also can't have a demolition derby, uh, as we've mentioned, especially at high speeds. I certainly do agree with that. And I say I can't remember when it could have been very bad of of Kyle Larson the way he got hooked. Like you mentioned, it wouldn't have necessarily been a rear end collision in this case, but head up into the wall, such as we saw with Ron Hornaday, which is also very dangerous. Um, I'm trying to think how Christopher Bell, when he got hooked and spun, um, how he hit the wall. Cause that was, and that's really the, the entire sad part of it. Of we, we talked about it during our uh, review of the race, Christopher Bell championship contender, Minding mm-hmm. his own business, running a good race, and ended up in it, and oh, now yeah. in a ma- major situation, going into the final two races. So, you know, that's that's the tough part of it for for him. 
Um, but yeah. you certainly, like you said, you don't want to see anybody intentionally wreck somebody, especially at such a high speed. We know this is a dangerous sport. No reason to make it even worse. And, and I will say, as it relates to the William Byron incident on Pitt Road and the Ty Gibbs incident that happened on Pitt Road, there are people on Pitt Road working. They were putting those people in jeopardy uh, with those situations, but at a much, much lower rate of speed uh, than what uh, Kyle Larson was going when he was uh, uh, hit by Bubba Wallace. Uh, but people were still in danger uh, with those incidents that happened on Pitt Road. Okay, let's uh, go on to a new hot topic. <laughs> Do you th- unless there's anything more that you wanted to say, Jay. No, I think uh, obviously this is not the end of it. Uh, I know on uh, Dave Moody's uh, Twitter line it was, yeah, we'll cover this on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and maybe some more <laughs> after that. So uh, there obviously is going to be some follow-up, uh, I'm sure, either way on what comes out of the next couple of days. As you said, Sharon, probably going to be addressed immediately tomorrow right away. Um, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, we'll have more to talk about on Thursday night for sure. Uh, I'm okay if they park them. Uh I, I do think that there has to be a clear message to really make him think about this long and hard. Uh, I was saying earlier today, too, I think I was wondering why we hadn't heard from McDonald's or any of his sponsors about that incident as well, uh, because people were very quick to reply, uh, and, and Toyota uh, were really quick to reply uh, when, that, when some earlier incidents have happened. Okay, let's uh, go ahead to our next hot topic. Uh, what's it going to be, Jay? Well, I'm going to take one here that Mike put up. Um, it is a tweet from, let's see, Jenna Fryer. Uh, it says, NASCAR Gene Haas on the pre-race grid says he'd like to give Cole Custer another year to prove himself, but Tony Stewart prefers Ryan Priest and they've got to carefully consider who they put in the car because they anticipates losing Harvick and Almirola at the end of the 2023 season. And somewhere, it is not in this thread, somewhere I saw where that, yeah, it is that supposedly that Harvick has no intention of coming back after the 2023 season uh, that Gene yeah. Haas was trying to, Okay, yeah, I'm not okay, okay, I'm not finding that one who that came from. But uh that he yeah, didn't I plan on returning. Too, okay. Yeah. The uh, other uh, Go ahead. Uh, okay, yeah, that one I know if you've at least seen it, I, I say I can't remember where. I think it was a Bob Parker's tweet. The other half though that that I questioned um and Mike said he thought the same thing. I thought Eric Almirola's deal in Smithfield was a multi-year now even though he had planned on retiring, mm-hmm. I thought that was announced as a multi-year. So I think they're only going to lose possibly one of them. But either way, Cole Custer, we've mentioned, has kind of been on the hot seat. Um, and again, not making the playoffs uh, this year. Yeah, he didn't make the playoffs this year. He made it in his first year as a rookie, which is kind of ironic. Uh, he got a win and was able to make it into uh, the playoffs that year. 
he didn't go very far, but uh, he did uh, make it into the playoffs. Uh, I'm looking, just to answer your question about Eric Almarola, I'm looking at the team chart over at uh, Deskis. Uh They've got 23-24. Almarola announced he will stay with Stuart Haas Racing for two more seasons with Smithfield also returning. That was posted on August the 26th of this year. Uh, so he reconsidered his retirement and has decided to stay for two more years. So, so that's uh, the deal with uh, Stuart Hawes Racing's uh, uh, Eric Almarola. As far as uh, uh, Kevin Harvick goes, yeah, I saw that same tweet, uh, and it said that Gene Haas said that uh, Kevin Harvick wants to leave at the end of the 2023 season. Uh, however, uh, he's trying to talk him out of it. So I think that's a to-be-determined. I think a lot of people are taking it as a foregone conclusion. Uh, but uh, I do think that Dean Hawes would like to see him stay there. Now, uh, Tony also mentioned in his tweet that he wants to put uh, Ryan Priest in that number 41 car. So that's all yet to be determined all yet to be determined uh, as conversations still pending in regard to all of those situations. So I think it's a little, it's only speculation that we can put forward on that at this point uh, because none of it is uh, kind of set in stone at this point. So we'll have to see what happens. I know a lot of people do feel that Cole Custer hasn't done what they expected of him in that number 41 car. Uh, his dad, of course, is an executive. Uh, Joe Custer is an executive with Haas uh, Automation. And a lot of people think that that's why Cole Custer got that ride to begin with. Um, I, I always say that with a little bit of trepidation because I think a lot of these drivers have to work twice as hard in some cases to prove their point that they belong uh, in the sport. But keep in mind that the first year that he was a rookie in that organization, uh, it was with a different type of car. This year, they've had to go through a transition in which Stuart Haas Racing, by the way, for the most part has struggled to make that transition with the next-gen car. So I think it might be just a little bit premature to um, take Cole Custer out of the car uh, at this stage of the game. Give him a chance to make the adjustment with Stuart Haas Racing before uh, taking him out of that car. There's been several times that I've seen him uh, racing up in the top ten. It's not been as consistent as we would like to see, but I do think they need to give him a little more time in that car. As much as I would love to see Ryan Priest in a cup car, um, I don't think it needs to be the number 41 at Stuart House Racing at this point. What are your thoughts, Jay? Well, and, and I got to say, he's not here, but I, I would have to agree, I think, with, with Mike. Um, he didn't put any specific up on this one this time, but we've had this conversation in the past. He is one that does feel that maybe Cole Custer has that ride due to connections to, uh, as you mentioned, uh, an executive within Stuart Haas Racing is that. Um, he hasn't lit the world on fire. When he came in as a rookie, 
he did win that race at I believe it was Kansas. And truthfully, if I recall correctly, was if not the top week in and week out most weeks for Stuart Haas racing, one mm-hmm. of them. Um, and they str- were struggling a little bit then. Since then, as we said, we've seen them still kind of struggle, especially with the next-gen car. Uh, Kevin Harvick came on a little bit stronger here at the end of the season to get into the championship um, contention, and we haven't seen that from Cole Custer. So I I do kind of think that giving him one more year in the next-gen car would be a good thing, but how do you pass up on the opportunity of Ryan Priest. We have seen Ryan Priest get in multiple different cars, trucks, vehicles, modifieds, whatever, and show his talent. So um, it's a tough position to be in. The thing that concerns me a little bit here, um, and it's going to tie into a couple of the other hot topics. I go back to when Kurt Busch was signed with Stuart Haas Racing. That was supposedly done by Gene Haas, without true coordination with Tony Stewart, um, mm-hmm. that Tony Stewart responded uh, after the news broke that, hey, that's nice to know information, wish I'd have been included. So now, again, we're in a situation where one, o- one owner wants one thing and another wants uh, something else. Be interesting to see. Plus, right now, I know I'm sure it was a little bit out of frustration, but Tony, Tony Stewart said, I'm done with NASCAR. I'm enjoying NHRA. It's a better... Uh, uh, trying to think of the word he used, uh, atmosphere. Um, he's enjoying it. It's not all the drama, you know, with what uh, all has happened at Stuart Haas Racing over the past couple of couple of weeks, kind of fed up with it. So that also intrigues me as far as whether or not that was, we'll see that come full circle if, if Tony Stewart really does want to walk away from NASCAR altogether. I don't see it happening. Like I said, I think it was more just out of the frustration over what's been happening. But, We've talked about this in the past. Tony is not one we see on a regular basis at the NASCAR mm. track. I realize he's got a lot of other things on his plate right now, especially with the uh, NHRA, but uh, there's some indications there that maybe this isn't his priority. Yes, indeed, and there's been some conversation about that over the last couple of years, uh, that one of the reasons that Stuart Haas Racing has been struggling is because Tony hasn't been at the track. Tony's been kind of involved in other endeavors, and uh, we know he has a lot of them. Uh, He has a lot on his plate, but his team and NASCAR needs him. Now, keep in mind that... uh, his feelings about NASCAR right now are precipitated by the fact that his teams have been hit with a lot of penalties. Uh, I think $300,000 worth of penalties in the last couple of weeks. So Cole Custer was hit with a penalty. Uh, Kevin Harvick was hit with a penalty. And uh, uh, that, that adds up after a while. And I'm, I'm sure he is frustrated with NASCAR right now. But, again, he needs to be there working with his organization uh, so that these kind of things don't happen or so that they can be managed uh, a whole lot differently uh, than what they're being managed in his absence. So <clears throat> I, 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 if Tony decides to leave NASCAR, um, 
that's that's a decision that he has to make. I'm not going to judge whether it's a good or a bad decision or anything like that. But uh, he's not helping his team right now. So uh, I, I do feel that his team is suffering because of his absence. So he's that's something that he has to evaluate for himself as to where he needs to be and what he needs to do to support his team or to walk away from NASCAR altogether. But right now, he he himself, he's definitely not helping his team at this point in time. And I seem to recall uh, when some of those comments were made last year about his absence at the track, uh, that he made a commitment that he was going to be more visible and he was going to be more involved with the teams. But honestly, I don't see it happening. So <laughs> we'll have to see. Uh, what happens uh, at the end of this season uh, if there's any more news around that front. Yeah, and and here's one that, uh, again, I don't always necessarily agree with the way he handles himself, especially when it comes to the media, but I think is a true good one to have involved in the sport. Um, And I think back to the the lug nut issue. I mean, the Hans device and the lug nut issue, when we went to the – penalties, separate penalties for one loose lug nut versus several and involving the pit guns, you know, he was one that say, admitted, you know, you got to save drivers from yourself, from themselves. Once they they yeah. get what they want, you know, they don't think the whole thing through. So I think he is one that could be very influential within the sport if he were to handle it and do it the right way. And you're right. There were some discussions about the lack of his absence, both at the team as well as at the track. I don't know. Uh, like I said, I know he has got many different things he is involved in. When we see races at El- Eldora, he is there and very involved in it. So maybe it is that the NASCAR side isn't his priority, but then he made to put his trust in the people that are there and at least back them up. Um, you know, and I know he's got a lot of respect for uh, Greg Zipadelli, who's one of the executives at Stuart Haas Racing. So it might be that he's put his trust in him. But to me, it seems like there's maybe a little bit more issue between the two owners, being that that's a, a split ownership, um, mm-hmm. which then generally doesn't go well. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see what happens Uh uh, now, if Almirola stays and Harvick does go, that still opens a spot for Ryan Priest. So we'll have to see how it all works out. But uh, uh, an interesting storyline to keep your eye on uh, as we move forward. Uh, now, I also want to talk, too, before uh, uh, the end of the night here, the announcement that happened this weekend from Kurt Busch that he is stepping away from uh, full-time racing is the way that he put it away. Uh, put it, he doesn't really want to call it a retirement because he may do uh, very similar to what J- uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. has done, uh, and that is do some one-off races here and there. Uh, but uh, it sounds as though uh, he may still be involved at 2311 Racing. What are your thoughts about that announcement? Well, personally, you got to admire. I know we've all said it of he just kind of happened to step away, um, not by his own choosing. 
we've heard this uh, reference, Kurt Busch, for several years, uh, that he had some other interests and things he wanted to do, Formula One, um, and he mentioned mentioned a couple of those, that that's kind of what he was looking at. Yes, it may have elevated or escalated it a year or two, being that he was obviously a championship contender going into this year before getting hurt, um, that he would have still run. What he said, you know, even going into next year, he's not sure where he's at. He wants the best for the team, uh, you know, and with the option then, I guess, to bring Tyler Reddick over already. They did buy out his contract, and he will be moving over. Kurt felt it was best to give that opportunity so the team can move forward as of right now. Uh, you got to admire that. I, I, I really do. Yeah. Um, and his focus on his health, which obviously is the number one priority, as he stated, but he said he's not done racing and not even necessarily done racing in NASCAR as, a, you know, he may still do some one-offs. And what did he say? I think it was Watkins, Glenn, and Darlington were the two that he mentioned. Um, it must have very personal reasons because, yeah, those aren't two that you'd necessarily – Darlington, I understand. Watkins, Glenn uh, must have some redemption he's looking for because that one kind of caught me <laughs> off guard as far as a highlight to make sure he came back and got in. But – you know, I, the fact that he was willing to do that um, for the team, and he mentioned, though, Toyota and Monster Energy still fully behind him as a sponsor and a manufacturer. Uh, so, yeah, I think we will see him at some NASCAR races, and we saw him there with the team. He talked about mentoring um, Bubba Wallace, uh, coincidentally going back to that of, and Kurt Busch has had his moment, so that would be a good one to talk to, I think, um, as far as that. And then also bringing in Tyler Reddick, and he, he mentioned the difference between the two and what each of them need, and I think Kurt Busch can provide that to a team. So I do hope that he kind of stays in partners with 2311. Uh, mentioned he said he, he obviously had the support of Toyota and Monster as to what he plans to do or is thinking about in the future as well. Yeah, a lot of respect to Kurt Busch, uh, definitely. He's come a long way, baby. When you think about uh, where he was, I remember the incident with Jimmy Smith, Spencer when he walked up and punched him right through the car window um, and called, uh, what was it he called him? Uh, not an oldster, but um, I forget what he called him now, but it was referring yeah, to I'm his age. To think- I'm trying uh, to think what the phrase he used there was. Um, but, yeah, he, he definitely had some anger management issues in the beginning as well. So uh, you're right. I think Kurt Busch would be a great mentor uh, for a driver like uh, Bubba Wallace, uh, who, who apparently has some anger issues as well that, that need to be dealt with. Um, <clears throat> I do think that uh, – uh, he did a very unselfish thing there. I think that uh, he was looking out for the organization and not keeping the organization on hold, uh, allowing Tyler Reddick to come into that seat for next season, I think was a good thing. And uh, uh, being there to continue to support uh, 23-11 racing is also a very good thing. I don't think we've seen the last of Kurt Busch. I think we will continue to see him. Uh, it was funny on uh, Godfather Moody today, somebody mentioned him coming to the booth, and Godfather Moody, 
I almost, I I was taking a drink of uh, my water at the time. I almost spit it out because Godfather Moody said it's too small in that booth. And, you know, in other words, there's so many drivers that have come into the booth here recently, there's no more room for another driver uh, to come into the booth. Um, They really need to uh, tap into his talent and and the lessons that Kurt Busch has learned along the way in his NASCAR journey because he has learned a great deal. And... This is one driver that has raced for a lot of different organizations. And in every organization he has ever driven for, he's made them better uh, as a result of being involved with those organizations. So we know he has that talent. Uh, We know he's a talented race car driver. We know that he has learned over the years how to help these organizations be better. And uh, I can't wait to see what he does in that role at 2311. So I've got a lot of respect for Kurt Busch at this stage of the game. I must say in the beginning, I didn't have a lot of respect for him, but he has come from being a villain. And I'm taking this from somebody else who called into Godfather Moody earlier today. He's gone from the villain to the hero uh, within NASCAR, and I think that's a good thing. And we've seen that with other drivers, uh, Dale Earnhardt, uh, Daryl Waltrip, several of them that have gone through that uh, of, like you said, from, from villain to hero. Uh, Jeff Gordon, maybe a little bit. I don't know if he had quite the range that these these others have. Um, as far as villain, it was just the not liking because he was winning. But um, <laughs> Kurt does have so much to offer. You said it, every organization he has been with, has elevated that team. He did some for the number one team, and I'm trying to think, James Finch, uh, Phoenix Racing, Furniture Row, when they were first beginning to really build that organization. We've seen what he can do at Roush Fenway, Team Penske, Stuart Haas Racing, Chip Ganassi Racing, and then here at Team 2311. So that speaks for itself. Um, and as you said, he's gone through some, a learning curve, uh, very much so, and so can provide that as to guiding younger drivers or drivers with certain issues. I do kind of hope that he does some work in the booth. Uh, I've seen him uh, within the truck series. I know he did some stuff with Fox and the truck series side. I think, again, provides some great inside information to the racing that's going on the track. So uh, I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't get to listen to Dave Moody today as far as that of uh, how many you can have in the booth. But um, <laughs> there are ones like that uh, I think are, are good ones to have. And I think he does a great job as far as broadcasting. So I, I think he'd be a good fit, uh, especially for the truck series. Definitely so. Okay. Um Let's go ahead and move on uh, to the next hot topic. What do you got for me, Jay? Well, the the other part, I'm sorry, I I didn't get to the other part of that. We mentioned Tyler Reddick moving over. Um, I think this was a a kind of a win all the way around. I I don't know what the intentions were. We never got anything official on Richard Childress getting a third charter. The way it's played out. I think it's best that everybody move on in the direction they're going. So uh, I know there were still a little bit of hard feelings. Talked about this during the uh, review of the race. 
Tyler Reddick still giving it 100%, obviously, at Richard Childress Racing. But I think it is best for him to move on. Everybody gets to start working on the direction they're going for the future. So um, I think that was a benefit to it was that that can all be settled as well. Yeah, I guess we had a preview of what was to come with Kurt Busch uh, because it was announced a a day or two before the Kurt Busch announcement that Tyler Reddick uh, was being uh, actually – 2311 actually bought out Tyler Reddick's contract with RCR uh, for that 2023 season and that he would be moving over to 2311 for the season next year. So that was kind of the preview, if you will, of what was to come with uh, the Kurt Busch announcement on Sunday. So um, uh, I think it is a win-win situation all the way around. Um and, and one of the things that Reddick said in his conversation, excuse me, in his conversation uh, with Richard Childress uh, before they made this announcement, uh, I guess they both agreed that they were both getting what they wanted out of the situation. Uh, it's no secret that Richard Childress was very highly <laughs> disappointed uh, when he found out that Reddick had agreed to a uh, contract for the 2024 season with 2311 Racing, uh, that he was going to honor his uh, contract with RCR, uh, but that he was going to move on then uh, to 2311. Uh, Richard Childress was not happy about that situation. He had invested uh, time and energy and money in uh, Tyler Reddick's future at RCR. So it's understandable why he would be highly disappointed uh, by that announcement, especially if it came by as a surprise. <clears throat> but uh, uh, in fact, he's brought in somebody else uh, within the organization as well. I'm going to interrupt myself here because we're at that time of the night uh, that I usually make an announcement to our first time listeners. We're going to go off the air at exactly. 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, but that doesn't mean that we're going to just abruptly stop our conversation here. We're going to continue our conversation, and we'll record that part of the conversation as part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. I'll go out on Twitter at Banfor Racing site and at uh, Banfor Racing blog and radio on Facebook to let you know when the uh podcast is available and at that point you can fast forward to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of our conversation and that bonus overtime material so uh, keep an eye out for that again we don't want anyone anyone to be caught off guard uh, by us going off the air in the middle of a conversation so with that uh, yeah I think it's understandable why Richard Childress was disappointed by that uh, but w- it opened the door with uh, Kirk Bush making the decision to leave. It does open the door uh, for everybody to get what they wanted out of this situation. Jake? Well, the, the, ne- the next topic then, if we wanted to move to another one, uh, I was kind of hoping Mike would have replied on this one to see his his point on this one. But we got Bob Pockris saying Spire has an announcement set for Tuesday to name its 2023 lineup. Ty Dillon's name is one of the most mentioned as the favorite for the number 77, 
And then I would assume Corey LaJoy coming back with the number seven. Okay, yeah, that was uh, interesting as well. Uh, and I did have it in my email box that Spire had uh, set up a, uh, an announcement for this Tuesday. Uh, Ty Dillon, as we know, uh, had, was it was announced earlier this year that he was leaving uh, the number 42 at Petty GMS Racing. And so that left him looking for a seat. Uh, they agreed mutually to part ways at Petty GMS with Ty Dillon. And uh, so this seemed to be the, uh, one of the logical spots for him to land. Uh, so we'll find out tomorrow if that is indeed the case, uh, that Ty Dillon will uh, drive that number 77. It, it is the number 77, right, that we're talking about? As far as that, yes, they also they also have the number seven, and I don't know if it's been confirmed. Uh, like I said, of Corey LaJoy returning to that one. Okay, so we'll find out tomorrow. I assume Corey LaJoy will be back because that's uh, uh, that's a team that he's been with for a very long time. And, and that's my thing. I, I hope that, or I kind of hope that Mike, like I say, would have had something up there. This is one of those teams that has never been a powerhouse team, but I feel like has been working on the direction of moving up to at least showing that improvement. And we've seen some great races from Corey LaJoy in that number seven team. Um, Again, it's typical uh, on super speedways. I know one of them was Atlanta, which this year was kind of more of a super speedway race, but we've seen that at least elevation – week to week and year to year. And I think having a second full-time driver might be the key factor to that. Uh, if they can get a little bit of sponsorship, I think Ty Dillon is one of those, I think has just never been quite in the right position with the right team and organization and the funding um, to have a true opportunity. I know with Germain racing, we saw some uh, very promising things. We saw some promising things as Petty GMS this year, made those same steps that Ty Dillon was a part of it. And I think back to the Coliseum, uh, you know, I, th- I actually thought he might win that race. Um, they opted to go in a different direction with Noah Gregson. So I hope that this is a team he can be a part of and help build around and together, as I do think it is a team that certainly could become a, maybe not a powerhouse championship contender, but a weekly top 10 to 15 team which is the next step they got to take right now. They're not, they're in the 20th to 25th can take that next step into a top 10 to 15 team. Yeah. If you watch race for the championship, uh, one of the things that I learned from watching that is that, uh, and I, I don't think I actually picked up on this before, but Steve Letarte, uh the crew, uh, a big, crew chief out at uh, Hendrick Motorsports and now uh, gone to NBC Sports as a, as a uh, new uh, um, NASCAR analyst uh, is uh, actually a um, how did they, an advisor 
a team advisor over at Spire Motorsports, and and they showed him on uh, the race for the championship talking to that organization and letting them know that they have everything they need right there within that organization to be uh, a, a high highly competitive team within NASCAR. And so uh, it was really good to see that as well. So Ty Dillon could certainly benefit, uh, you know, with having that kind of support over at Spire uh, Motorsports. Or is it Spire? Yeah, Spire Motorsports, I think, is the full name. Um, and I, I, I think that uh, this could be a very good move for Ty Dillon. And I, actually, I think it's, it's going to benefit Ty maybe a little bit more than it's going to benefit Spire uh, by bringing Ty over there. Uh, but I will say this, if Ty benefits from being at Spire Motorsports, that will in turn benefit Spire Motorsports uh, if he starts racing more competitively. And I do kind of feel like Ty Dillon still has a little bit of, um, uh, I, I guess the best way to put it is growing up to do as well. And maybe he'll be able to do that with a teammate uh, like Corey LaJoy uh, working beside him, as well as with somebody like Steve Letarte, uh being there as an advisor and mentor. So uh, I, I think uh, this could be a very, very good move if it does indeed end up being Ty Dillon working with uh, Corey LaJoy over there at Spire. Well, and the other interesting thing, and, and this is strictly unofficial, uh, it was a fan, I think, that yeah. respo- responded on the thread of whether or not then there's some alliance to Richard Childress racing with that if Richard Childress decides to try and help Ty, as they did with Jermaine Racing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know the exact extent of it, but an alliance of some sort again, that might be that little extra resource that Spire Motorsports would need then to, as I said, at least move up the chart. Uh, Again, I don't see them as a championship contender necessarily, not to say they can't, but you got to take it in steps. You got to go from 20th to 15th to 10th. So I think a little bit of help and assistance from Richard Childress certainly would bring them to that next step. Uh, You know, uh, you got to give a shout-out to even what Corey LaJoy and the number seven team has been able to do with what they have as it yes. is right now. <laughs> so with that, adding another veteran driver, I know the driver rotation they've had through the other car, the number seven, 77, has always been, as Mike puts it, a pay-to-drive type situation. And that has its benefits. It certainly can. But I think a veteran driver like Ty Dillon, that we mentioned we know has the talent just hasn't quite been in the right situation could bring to that team yeah and and i think about an example of that is look how many years ross chastain drove for jd motorsports uh jd motorsports is one of the oldest xfinity series teams in the uh, nascar garage uh it wasn't top tier equipment uh, but they did the best they could with what they had when, when, and I think JD, Johnny Davis, uh, is the one who encouraged, uh, Ross Chastain to reach out and race for some other teams. And he started doing that. In fact, uh, for a couple of years there, he was racing every single race 
that the Truck Series ran, that the Xfinity Series ran, and that the Cup Series ran. And that's a whole lot of racing. And I think that it certainly uh, made Ross Chastain a better driver. But we recognized right away when he got into some better equipment, Ross Chastain was a top-tier competitor in all three of those series. So, and he's proving that this year, second in the series point standings. Uh, I see Corey LaJoy kind of being in that same situation. He's a good driver. He just hasn't had the opportunity in that top-tier equipment. And eventually, you know, that could happen with him too. He he might uh, branch out and start, uh, you know, getting himself experience on other teams and uh, helping himself kind of move up. Or it might happen within that organization, as you brought up, Jay. Uh, it, it might just happen within the organization if they have that affiliation with RCR uh, and, uh, and support from people like Steve Letart. I think that the, that could eventually help them uh, elevate to the next level within NASCAR. So... Uh, I know that we have drivers that are back markers right now. They're extremely talented drivers, but they need to be given that opportunity. And this this could open a lot of doors for them. We'll see what happens. Uh, looking forward to the announcement tomorrow. Anything else that you and wanted I, to say I, there? Yeah, you, you mentioned there, uh, Ross Chastain, uh, you know, between the top, three top three, three top three series at NASCAR. Um, you're talking 90, just shy of 90 races. And I don't remember, I think it was only like 10 or 12 races that he didn't make. You were right. Ran, running everything he could in the trucks, Xfinity and NASCAR cup series level. Uh, I say, I think it was only like 12 of the events. Some of them weren't even uh, situations due to his doing. It was, they were racing in two very different locations that he couldn't absolutely could not. And I think that's where the truck series, um, races that he missed came into play. Um, but we've seen it with other drivers. You mentioned Ross Chastain, Alex Bowman being one. Uh, I mean, we saw him go through that with some of the different teams that he drove for. Right now, that's kind of where you see Ryan Priest sitting, taking whatever rides he can, working with the team. Um, Ty Majeski, uh now showing up in the mm-hmm. truck series as a championship contender, another one. You know, So you're right. The, the talented driver is there. It's getting in that situation and being able to fully show that talent. So uh, we'll wait and see, as you mentioned, uh, what the full announcement is tomorrow. Um, But I think this is good for the team, which I think another top team or a team moving up in the standings um, is good for NASCAR. So all the way around again, hopefully a win-win situation. All right. Uh, Stay tuned for the announcement uh, sometime tomorrow. Okay, now, one other thing I want to make sure we mention here tonight, and that is Haley Deegan made her Xfinity Series debut. We referenced it earlier in the show tonight. She raced as number 07 with SS Greenlight Racing. Cole Custer's been in that car a few times this year and has done well in it. Uh, Everybody was looking to see what Haley Deegan could do in her Xfinity Series debut out at uh, Las Vegas Motor Speedway. She ended up with a 13th place finish. Uh, I know we talked about it briefly, uh, but officially under Hot Topics, uh, your thoughts about Haley Deegan's uh, 13th place finish at Las Vegas? 
And this is one where I know Mike and I disagree. That is one that I think shows her talent. Um, I know that's obviously a, a track uh, familiar to her, that area. But one of the things I picked up on in her post-race is she said she feels like the truck series can get to be very one lane, if you will. And, it, and to me, it brought me back to dirt when you talk about a dirt track being one lane. She said it's very tough to pass. You don't even have that option without being a little aggressive, the bumping, giving a nudge. Whereas she talked about in the Xfinity series, I, I kind of laughed though too when she said it, how the drivers in the Xfinity series race was a lot of respect. Having seen some of the situations we've seen <laughs> lately, I'm like, I don't know if she's been there long enough to realize that, but for her first race, she said that they drove with a lot of respect and she was able to move around and pass. Um, and we talk about that, the difference between the truck series and the Xfinity, the Xfinity and the cup, uh, you know, and, Going, going back to Cole Custer, uh, we've seen uh, talked about that. Maybe he is one that goes back to the Xfinity Series, can do better there. We've seen that with Justin Algar, Elliott Sadler. I think Kaylee Deegan is one that we've got to be able to see what she can do in these other series, not write a driver off because they didn't succeed in one series. And I say that because if you recall, I mentioned that with uh, when the announcement was made, she was moving to, at least for this one race, to the Xfinity Series. Dave Moody was the one that said, hey, if you're not winning at the level you're at, you shouldn't be moving on. Because it is so different, I don't know that it's moving up. It's to a different so that you can see the talent. So I think we saw that. Uh, again, the best finish in a debut by a female. Exactly. And I think that there is a lot of difference between racing those bhakti trucks that have no aerodynamics to them whatsoever and racing an Xfinity Series car. Um, and I, I, we know that there are drivers. Uh, you mentioned Justin Algauer, uh was racing in the Cup Series and was not winning races. He wanted to come back to the Xfinity Series where he could be competitive again. And that's what racers want to do when they're racing. They want to be competitive in those races. So some drivers, uh, uh, the Cup Series isn't the right place for them. It's the Xfinity Series. Same thing between the Truck Series and the uh, Cup Series. We saw Johnny Sauter race in, in the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series and not have the kind of success that he found in the NASCAR truck series that was more suited to his driving style. Matt Crafton, Ron Hornaday, uh, those drivers uh, excelled in the NASCAR Cup Series. And I always like to see that mix of veteran and new drivers in those series because that's how these young drivers learn is from the veteran drivers. So I think it's a healthy thing when you have some of those veterans racing with the newcomers that are coming into the series. Haley Deegan um, has had some success. She came into the truck series, and I think she was kind of given the mantra of you are here to learn, and she took that role very seriously uh, and was not out there competing necessarily for wins. She was following drivers and trying to learn from those drivers. Now, I'm not saying that if she had an opportunity to compete for a win, that she wouldn't do it. But 
she knew that she was in a role of trying to learn, especially in her first year in cup. In the second year in cup, I mean trucks, in the second year in trucks, she made it a point to be a little more aggressive to try to move forward uh, and and be a little more aggressive in her racing style. Uh, But I'm anxious to see more from Haley Deegan in the Xfinity Series because I think her driving style may be more suited to the Xfinity Series versus the Truck Series. Um, And so best finish by a female uh, in a debut race, and I think that says a lot for her. Uh, And she was not driving – she was very careful in her driving. Let me just put it that way. I don't think she was being aggressive. I don't think that she was uh, making any waves. I think that she was driving very smartly, and those are the kind of things that she learned from racing in the truck series. And I'd like to see her do more of that in the Xfinity series. And let's face it, SS Greenlight Racing um, is bringing in some of these other drivers in order to help them improve their program. And putting drivers like Cole Custer and Haley Deacon can certainly help make that happen. So we'll see if there's more of that to come here. Uh, I don't know if there's any more races for her for the rest of this season, but I'd sure like to see her racing in the Xfinity Series. I think somebody asked her that question, and she said uh, they're working on it, but they don't have anything to announce at this point. So we'll have to wait and see if there's any news on that front. Yeah, that, that's where the comment of if somebody's willing to pay the bills uh, came into play was following that question. Um, yeah. and, and I really think I think that there is a tie to Ford there. And with David Gillen Racing going over to Toyota, I think that is one where Haley Deegan is going to stay with the Ford camp and move up to uh, over to the Xfinity Series. And there is one, you mentioned a couple of the, the drivers that well-suited to the trucks. Mike Skinner was another mm-hmm. one. Solid cup uh, driver, was not, was not out there winning weekly. Um, but going back to the trucks, when he went back to the trucks, again, became a championship contender year in and year out. And you're right. They need that. You got the veterans. You got the young guys coming in, uh, young drivers uh, coming in. So that is a great mix. It's the same thing. Uh, I say we saw Elliot Sadler return there, Justin Algar. Uh, I think of some that never even necessarily moved up of like Mike McLaughlin. So I think that is a good thing. I, I know we label it as a second tier series, but I'm not sure you can really call it that. Um, you know, when, when you talk, I'm trying to think, Sharon, you've, you've said it of the stepping stone. It's not the same as in other uh, double A, triple A, and you're moving up. It is different. Um, a lot of teams use it as a, stepping stone and proving ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was Richard, Richard Petty. I, I think I, last week during uh, some of the conversation about that saying that the truck series was a waste of time. If you're trying to develop a cup driver, um, I, that might be a little harsh in taking it to that full extent. Um, but there is some truth to it. I mean that. Yeah. We've seen some so drivers different. do that. Uh, well, and like you said, of it being that it is so different, it's a matter of what you're learning um, from the series, as you mentioned with Haley Deegan, of what she is learning and, and then being able to apply when you move to the Xfinity or Cup. So that's why I say I don't know if I'd call it a complete waste of time, but it certainly doesn't necessarily 
and, and just go. I go back to Jimmy Johnson and even Jeff Gordon. I think Jeff Gordon had one Xfinity <laughs> Series win before moving to the Cup, but they knew the talent was there, so give him the opportunity in the Cup, and he maximized it. Some of them that you know, we look at Cole Custer. Maybe that doesn't fit him real well. Um, again, the changeover in cars plays a factor in that. The development of Stuart Haas racing plays a factor in that. Um, but we know he is a talented driver. So if he goes back to the Xfinity Series, I think he's right away going to got to be considered a championship contender. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I'm not sure I see any other topics on here. How about you, Jay? Are there any more topics for us to discuss here tonight? No, I think that was uh, pretty much the last one as far as that. I know we're going to have a load again come uh come Thursday, some of them kind of follow-ups to what we've talked about um, tonight. We'll see if there's some new ones. Um, I guess there, I there is one, there's one more. Oh, go ahead. What's that? I was going to say, I was going to have you do a fantasy update, but uh, I know I'm not doing so well this year. <laughs> but well, I, if you uh, want to you... give an update okay. there, that would be um, great. Just going with the facts of somebody had a good weekend because they had both the Cup driver and the Xfinity driver win uh, winners mm. pick, and that was me having Josh Berry and Joey Logano. Unfortunately, when you. you look at the standing, it's a, yeah, it's not going to look real good. All I did was move myself up a little further from the bottom in most cases. <laughs> well, <laughs> Let's see. It's one of those years, Jay. It's just one of those yeah, years. It's uh, so hard to predict been, with this next gen car for sure. Well, and I think a big thing, and, and I like it, uh, I know it's hurt me, but having, we we got nine players this year has definitely changed the dynamic there as well. Definitely. So we'll start with the, with the truck series. Uh, I mentioned this uh, a week or so ago already. Andy pretty much has this one locked up. All he has to do is score two points over the next two races. So he can't have the last finisher in either of the two races to either tie or lock that up. Uh, he's got 146 points. Owen at 112, Brian 110, Tommy 109, Mike 104, Sharon 102, Sam 99. <laughs> Y'all are really close. Then James is at 91, and I'm at 84. I haven't moved up much at all on that one. On the Xfinity side, this one is extremely wide open, especially after this weekend. Brian leads at 172 points. We got 18 points available per race, and we got three races left here in the Xfinity and Cup. So he's only got a 12-point lead over Andy at 160. I now moved up to 150, so within at least a range. Mike is at 140. Sam, 138. Owen, 132. Sharon, 131. And that is about where it gets really tight as far as being able to make it uh, have a shot at the title. Uh, I think James and Tommy at 121 and 112. Yeah, Tommy might be fully eliminated. I didn't do the full calculations. But James, I think, would have to have max points in all three races. Brian have zero, and that means jumping seven people in the middle. So, Sharon, you're right on the verge of that as well there at 131. <laughs> <laughs> that's been a good year make it 
No, we'll, br- we'll bring up a good one here, though. Uh, this one tightened up as the points leader, Mike, took a zero this weekend, but still holds the points at 202 on the cup side. Sharon and Tommy tied at 190. Again, only 12 points back. My 18 points brought me up to 186, so I'm within range. Uh, Sam at 185, James 183, then Owen 177, Brian 172, and Andy 164. And Andy isn't quite in desperation mode, but the 40 points there to make up over the three races, again, would be really tough. And then okay, the so overall, I do have one <laughs> Yep, yeah, your second there, you still got a shot at that. Without 12 points, that's uh, easily done in one race. Uh, the overall, Andy at 470, Brian 454, Mike 446, Sharon you're at 423, Sam 422, Owen 421, and I caught all the way up to seventh place at 420, Tommy at 411, and James 395. And that over, what did I say, 3 3 and 2 is 8 races, so still 160 roughly points there. Again, mathematically possible, but as we've seen, uh, really tough to make up points and positions, though, um, Over, especially jumping over some other people. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, being our leader when it comes to keeping track of all of these things and staying on all of us uh, to get our picks in every week. Uh, I know there's been a couple of weeks that have been really rough on me to get all my picks in on time, but uh, you do a very good job with it, and uh, uh, I think uh, we've got a very good group, too. So thanks again for all you do there, Jay. Well, I always say I enjoy it. Uh, this year I haven't enjoyed it as much because i got to track how badly I'm doing, but still have a lot of fun <laughs> with it. And uh, I know you said it definitely changes how you watch the race because you're watching different battles on the track between our drivers, uh, maybe not even so much the lead of the race. Yes. In fact, I go through and I favorite all of the drivers that have been picked so I can see where I'm ranking amongst all of our picks uh, throughout the race. So I don't know if you have the NASCAR app or not, but that allows you to do that. Ah, as you select them, yeah. I, I have used that before. Uh, I didn't think about that um, as far as marking the ones we have. So, anyway, that helps me keep track of where everybody is throughout the race. So, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And we've been doing this for what now? How many years? This is about, what, my fourth, I think fourth year. Fourth year? Uh, I know the first year we just... Wow. Yeah, during our preview show, it started just with, with you and I, cause I just because we'd say who we thought was going to win. I started kind of tracking it, and then as others came on board, put it into a full program. And, yeah, it's been a lot of fun um, doing it. And like you said, the interest level just adds to it uh, throughout the race. And then, of course, the trash yeah. talking, which – uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. Mike and I are in the lead. Yeah, Mike. Mike and I are in the lead when it comes to trash talking. Uh, there ain't no doubt about that. Uh, just makes it all that much more fun. All right, uh, Jay. Let's go ahead and give your handle and uh, how fans can follow you and uh, what you're up to with the racing this weekend. Well, you can follow me articles. on uh, Facebook. 
Uh, okay. Uh, Facebook on Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And right now, kind of, kind of wind down the uh, season. I got a couple more things I'm going to do uh, before the end of the year. Some motocross stuff I've been doing. Uh, picked up some events with that, so that's been different. Uh, let me tell you, uh, motorcycles <laughs> on a track that motocross track is a lot different than oval tracks. So improving my skills there, if you will. Uh, I know one event last year, the first one I did, I went to the, went to the guy and I said, Hey, if you don't pay me, I understand. I felt like I did horrible, but they appreciated it. I've made some improvement and picked up more events. So having a lot of fun with that, I've got a couple more of those to do on the year. Um, I know I haven't written a lot of articles uh, here for Fan for Racing, at least the latter half of the year. Um, I think there's going to be some interesting ones, though, to look at through the off season. Uh, as I mentioned, I think this might be one of the biggest years when it comes to the silly season and then the direction NASCAR <laughs> is going as we talk about different things like the schedule. Uh, you know, we predicted the – or somebody said that uh, the quote from um, NASCAR officials of – the 2024 schedule being the most aggressive. So maybe look at something like that during the off season. I know uh, that's a time period when I have a little more time and there's some things that we can keep fans interested throughout the off season. Exactly. Uh, I am a fan for racing site on Twitter. We're fan for racing blog and radio everywhere else, including uh, our ra- our website, fanforacing.com. Uh, and uh, I will be posting on both of those sites uh, when we have our podcast available tonight and uh, again on Thursday night when we'll be back here at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time to preview the racing that's going to take place this weekend out at Homestead Miami Speedway. Uh, So uh, definitely looking forward to that. One more race left. Uh, as far as uh, across the Arca Menard series, uh, Nick Sanchez won that race, won the championship in the Arca Menard series. It was Sammy Smith winning the championship in the Arca East and Sioux Chief Showdown. And now we have one more series, the Arca West, uh, to determine the uh, uh, championship there. We think we know who it's going to be, but uh, you never know what can happen. Uh, I think Jake Drew probably has pretty much clinched that, to be honest with you. Uh, and uh, But we'll look forward to that race at Phoenix. Uh, that will be their season finale, along with the season finale for NASCAR's Top 3 Series. So um, a lot to look forward to in the coming weeks. And uh, definitely looking forward to talking about Homestead Miami this Thursday. Uh, And then we will be back with our Hot Topic Sound Off. I think we'll have at least one other person, if not two other people, joining us uh, for that conversation on Thursday night. And uh, a big shout-out to Jay (laughs) for being here tonight uh, to fill in for Sal. Uh, He's got a lot going on. I did get a chance to see Sal uh, out at uh, the Las Vegas Bull Ring on Friday night, and uh, I've got some funny stories to tell there. I'll do those offline, but um, definitely uh, looking forward to uh, uh, seeing everybody uh, again on Thursday night and looking forward to the racing coming up at Homestead Miami this weekend. So thanks, Jay, for being here. And, uh, Sal, we missed you. We'll look forward to having you back uh, hopefully on next Monday night. 
Well, that's good. I'm glad you got to hang out with him. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of worried about some of the stories you might have to tell there. So uh, you're right, might have to keep that uh, off the podcast itself, huh? Yeah, well, one of them uh, involves Sal, but I've got some more uh, travel stories to tell, too. So uh, we'll get into those again offline. So, But uh, we had a great time out at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, the weather was absolutely gorgeous uh all over the weekend so uh i can't wait uh, to get an opportunity to come back there again so uh, thanks to las vegas phone speedway for a great weekend all right glad you enjoyed it and i'm glad you got to check that one off uh, i'll have to put that one on my list for sure but like i said i'm a little concerned with that of uh my nature for gambling <laughs> uh try to steer clear of that area <laughs> All righty. <laughs> we'll talk offline. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We appreciate each and every one of you. Have a good night, and we'll talk to you on Thursday. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.